Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to today's show. Wow. A whole new day, a whole new, a whole new dollar. One dollar, one day. Really? Did you not get the memo? That's all no. you're getting paid, Terry. They adjusted payroll again? Yep. They adjusted it up. A dollar okay. a day. <laughs> Welcome to the program. Man, uh... Friday. So, you know, today's the day that we get ready for tomorrow. Saturday. Okay. Today's the day that we make our plans for an incredible weekend. What are you doing this weekend, by the way? I don't know yet. Well, you you sound like I shocked you. Well, no, my wife usually tells me what my schedule is. She hasn't filled you in? I know I get up at about 6:50. That's every Saturday. Do you really? Yeah. Why? Because we eat breakfast, then we go work out, we come home, we go grocery shopping. And then that's about noon, and at that point, then you can figure out what you're going to do for your day. Holy cow, really? Yeah, that's every Saturday. Man, your life is going to change, my friend. Why is that? Because Saturdays, that's the day that you have 14 sporting events. Oh, for kids? Kids, basketball games, football games. At the moment, we can do this schedule, Mm -hmm. right. But I don't know, my kid... He, has, he thinks he can play soccer, and then he gets out there and he goes, I don't want to get hurt. Oh, uh, yeah. maybe, that'll, maybe that'll change. Well, he's like his father. What? You said the same thing in our meeting. That I'm going to get hurt? Yeah, I, I don't want to get hurt. <laughs> like we're throwing out ideas for the show, and right. Terry's like, nah, I don't want anyone well, to get hurt. Well, they involve all those physical challenges. They have me out there jumping off roofs and stuff like yeah. in Boston. It's bad. It's you know. There's a lot of snow in Boston. Hey, you got some headlines for us. I do. Jeb Bush this week came out and said that he's his own man. Okay. Why? <laughs> the minute you have to say that, everyone's like, "Well, yeah." He hired 21 former policy experts who worked under his father and his brother. Okay. They all had. One of them's Paul Wolfowitz. Yeah. Probably heard that yeah. name before. He was one of the brains behind the Iraqi War and the. The way they built up. Well, I mean, a lot of people would say that that's not someone you want in your corner because that turned out not. But he has experience and, you know, Jeb probably knows him type of thing. But he's his own man. He's got 21 people who worked with his father and worked with his brother. Uh But he says he's his own man. He's he's he respects what his father and brother did. Yeah. But he's going to be his own man and and come up with his own ideas when it comes to foreign policy. See, this is the dilemma. If you're going to run as a Bush, you everyone's going to say, "Ah, you're just like everyone else." You know, same thing with Clinton, I guess. He says his own views are shaped by my own thinking and own experiences. You know, he sounds like about a six year old kid. It's like I'm going to be my own big man. Well, how would you do that better? How would you make that explanation? Because he it needs to be addressed because of his family. Well, yeah, I think what you do is you just show you have your own a point of view. So you don't have to say it; you show no, it. You just you just would yeah. go actually talk about your point of view that's different than your brothers and your fathers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shouldn't he just point out where he stands on different things? Like yeah. talk about what you do believe. Don't just tell me what you don't believe. It, it doesn't help that there's 21 former staffers from your brother and your fathers 
presidents. You know, <laughs> I mean, by the way, these <laughs> these past staffers. Did you hear what uh, Axelrod, uh, who was the the genius behind the Obama um, campaign, he's driving Clinton land crazy. What's he doing? He just keeps causing problems. David Axelrod, former top strategist to President Obama, has been annoying Hillary Clinton's allies with his rash of recent comments about the would-be presidential candidate and her potential campaign. He's telling he's, – he's not helping her case, they say. It's not helpful. It's not appreciated. The last thing we need is another round of headlines about lingering tension, and this is doing exactly that. He's, he's like – I think he's just – doesn't he have his book out? Is that yeah. why he's, he's got in a brand the news? New book. People are talking with him, and he's saying these things. Yeah, uh, the, the 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 staunch Clinton supporters feel that though Axelrod, who's promoting his new book, Believer: My Forty Years in Politics, he's he's not he's taking an unnecessary aim at her at her at her candidacy, or just at her, I guess. You know, is he trying to get headlines for his book? Or yes. Is this, okay, he's trying to make money. So this might not be anything personal. It's no. all business. See, but this is the funny thing is the minute you bring on these people or not, I mean, that's funny. Why isn't he working for her? Yeah. I mean, we don't want to we don't want to cast aspersions, but do they not get along? Possibly. We've already heard that they have there's already some battles going on between her fundraising and some of the past Obama fundraisers. Anyway. Yeah. People are it's getting tense. Um, in some, I don't know, scary news. We'll have a scary news here. Okay. Uh, top Iraqi diplomat told world leaders that ISIS is harvesting organs Are you to serious? help fund their murderous operations. Get your organ here. So they will harvest an organ and I guess sell it on the black market. And they know this is because they found bodies with surgical scars. Missing organs. Yeah. So they're <sighs> selling oil. They're, they're just stealing all kinds of th- yeah. items and vehicles they're and buildings. They're robbing banks. Yeah. And now they're And they're harvesting, harvesting organs. Eh, they're all right. It's a revenue stream, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I mean, okay. Now, see, that's the thing. Now they're going to tip over. See, they've already got Egypt mad. They've got Jordan mad. Now Italy's worried. Yes. The United States is on it. Canada's mad. France is mad. Now you're going to get all of the organ donors of the world mad. There's something wrong with those guys. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, I am a doctor, but that's kind of, that's scary news. Uh, The strongest material on earth has been found. What? Researchers in the UK have discovered the strongest biological material ever recorded in a breed of aquatic snails. I knew it. Limpets, they're called, which are snails with shells that have no obvious coiling, so Mm, you can go ahead and find your snail that way. They possess teeth (laughs) made of geothite, I believe that's how you say it, an iron-based material that's threaded into fibers. Wow. It is five times stronger than spider silk and now deemed the world's strongest material. So snail teeth. There you have it. That's all you need. Just go catch a snail and then somehow make it. You know, turn it into. Did you know the snails have teeth? Yeah, they do. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, I thought they were just gooey. When we go to the orthodontist, tons of snails there. Really? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) We've got to end it at that. Here's the deal: we've got a great guest coming up. Dan Clark is joining us. Dan is a speaker, author, leadership expert. Does a ton of work with uh, the government, the military, army, navy, you name it. And the cool thing about him: super well informed. And man, you know what? 
I asked him to come speak about leadership, and honestly, I think I think he's going to go off. He's going to go off. I can tell. He's frustrated with what's going on with every party in D.C. More uh, on that subject when we come back. Dan Clark will be joining us right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Honored by our next guest. Uh, really, to have Dan Clark in studio is, is just a great, it's a great gift, and I think you're going to see why by the time we are done picking his brain on Leadership 101. Uh, let me introduce him so you know a little bit more about him. Dan is a CEO. He's an international consultant, a university professor, He's a screenwriter, by the way, New York Times bestselling author, more than, I think, 21 books, I believe, award-winning athlete uh, who actually has fought his way back from a paralyzing injury as well that cut his football career short. Um, But on top of all of that, Hall of Fame speaker. And if you remember the Just Say No program that was instituted by the Reagans and Nancy Reagan, he's the guy that once the the order came out that that's going to happen he's the guy that rolled it out to six million youth across the country back in the day uh, just a great guy philanthropist community leader and an American patriot Dan welcome to the Matt Townsend show you forgot the most important part I'm the biggest fan of Matt Townsend oh, on the planet maybe even so in Mars where half the folks that I speak to end up <laughs> is that where they end up well you're also we I forgot <clears throat> to say you're a father you're a husband. One wife, beautiful, amazing, talented woman. Absolutely. Who puts up with you? 34 years total. And in the military, they go, whoa, what's your secret? I've only been home six weeks total. So That's exactly it. Good. When you travel a lot, it's yeah, easy to Yeah, don't whine about going. the multiple deployments. There's a way to work that, 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 you, that out. See, you've been able to do it. So I wanted you on, Dan. You, you travel the world teaching about <clears throat> leadership on all levels. So corporate America, you're in the highest. I mean, I know you've been in every boardroom. You're one of the nation's top speakers, one of the highest rated. The only one, I mean, you're a Hall of Famer in, in the speaking world. You know everybody. But here's the deal. Leadership. So we sit on the cusp of another wonderful election, and I don't want to sound cynical, but it, I, I worry because it seems like our, we need more leadership in this country. We have a lot of candidates coming down. We have a lot of you know people that are all positioning, and yet we don't seem to be able to actually lead anymore. What, what, am I off on that? No, I believe exactly what you're saying, and one of the reasons why I'm such a fan of yours is because you have this amazing ability to cut through the clutter and start at the foundational level. So maybe we clarify what leadership yeah. is. In my mind, <clears throat> excuse me, standing in the front of a room and calling yourself a, a leader no more makes you a leader than sitting in the middle of a garage makes you a truck. <laughs> Leadership implies action. Yeah. Most people believe that a leader is someone who people follow. Right. In my experience, a leader is someone who can organize a group of people to accomplish a common goal. Heaven That's the yes. difference. And so we've all heard the, the quote and the definition that leaders – do the right thing, managers. Um, yeah, how does, do uh, things right? Yeah, Sorry, that's right. I had to do, pausing, do make sure I said that correctly. And so the conversation always leans to: Is a leader charismatic? Right. Well, 
the three most charismatic leaders of the 20th century were Mao Zedong, <laughs> Stalin, and Hitler. That didn't go well. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> so we can't put too much emphasis on the That's on right, the, charisma. the charisma. You know, I didn't I didn't vote for for President Bill Clinton. Yeah, and I was in, at a board meeting. <clears throat> Actually, I was speaking at a national convention, and had an opportunity to go out with the board um, to. Uh, receive a private tour of the White House. And one of our board members was from Arkansas, hmm. and he happened to be best friends with Bill Clinton. So we get the private tour, which wasn't really the private tour. I've been on this tour before. Incidentally, Obama canceled all the tours. Did Actually, he? Michelle did. Michelle. Uh, and that's another that's another topic another day. Uh, so we don't, as public, as taxpayers, we don't have access to the White House any longer. But in the day, I'd been on the tour several times. So this was nothing special yeah. until we finished the tour in the in the room where it's basically the press release room where we're familiar with what that looks like, hardwood floors. And as we turn to leave, a door opens and President Clinton comes out of the private quarters and greets us, all Holy 14 of us on this cow. tour. And I shook my head because I did not vote for him. Yeah. He did some magnificent things as president of the United States, but the Monica Lewinsky deal just tarnishes right. everything that he did, in my humble, biased opinion. But I was in awe of this man, and he knew every single one of our names. Holy he had been cow. prepped. He was charismatic. He was so smart. Our conversation was so amazing. Yeah. And when I got back to my hotel room, I had to understand myself. Was I a fan of Bill Clinton suddenly, or was I in awe of the office that we call President of the United States, the most powerful man on the planet, not just in the Western Hemisphere, not just in the West? Yeah. And I realized the significant difference between the person and the performance. And that applies on a football field. That applies in a family. Mm. That applies in any situation where we need someone to step up and lead. Yeah. And when I deal with the military, I've been the keynote speaker three times at the National Conference on Ethics at West Point, for example. And the first time I was the keynote speaker, I shared the platform with three Medal of Honor recipients. And every one of them had this incredible story of, of, of bravery and courage in the, in the face of, of, of danger yeah. and, and gallantry. I mean, it was unbelievable. And every one of them was so humble because what they said was, I'm just an ordinary guy when put in a certain situation had to do something extraordinary. Yeah. And so when I teach leadership, what I try to do is make sure everybody understands that leadership must be automatic. In certain situations, we don't have time to think things through. Right. You know, if you analyze the basketball shot and you, and you analyze Haas and, and Jimmer and some of the greatest shooters that BYU has ever produced, for example, their elbow is at a 37-degree angle. They square up to the basket. Both feet are pointed perfectly at the, at the, at the basket. And you can break it down mechanically yeah. and statistically. You don't have time to think about that and get your body in that perfect position when one time you're coming off the dribble at 15 feet away, the next time you're coming off the dribble at 22 feet away, and the next time you're going up for a layup. And somehow your eye-hand coordination becomes an automatic response, not a reaction, a response, and you swish the basket every time. What we have to do when it comes to leadership is figure out what principles and laws we need to practice that we need to make automatic in our lives and our philosophical way of looking at life and our ability to make, you know, awesome decisions under pressure. Right. 
And therefore, we don't even have to worry about leadership. When a, situ- when a situation presents itself, the leaders automatically emerge. But see, it's interesting because we would think that by the time a senator or whatever gets elected and is then in Congress or and in the Senate and they work their way up, we, I guess we assume there's leadership there. But, I mean, you might be able to get elected just because you can mark it. Yeah, you're a, it's a popularity vote. And but do I want to follow you? And can you get can you get me to think your way now? And I mean, can we give and can we take? It just doesn't seem like we have that skill set. Do you, know, do you in, know how many Democrats that I know at high level positions as I travel the world, who, as a matter of fact, when they realized that I was on the Olympic Committee back in two thousand and two, and had a eyewitness seat to Mitt Romney and his leadership style and his ability to organize a group of people to accomplish a common goal. How many Democrats are saying, I wish I had voted for Mitt Romney instead of Obama because the country would be in a different place and our world would be in a different place. So it boils down to information at the bottom at at the bottom of the of the list of definitions of sales. The foundational definition of sales is the transference of trust. Hmm. Yeah. That if money becomes the topic of conversation, it means that the presentation is weak and the relationship is non-existent. So don't take me down that path of, oh, you got to give me a deal. Right. And yet Obama's given away money, which means he's buying votes and it's going to be harder than ever before to put a Republican back in the White House because of that situation. When in reality, leadership isn't about who's right. It's about what's right. And that's what we need to do in this upcoming election is vote for the right person. I don't give a rat's walk zoodle if he or she is Democrat or Republican. Yeah, just get I live in Utah. Mike Lee is one of the smartest people I've ever met. And I've met with him a couple of times in his office in Washington, D.C., and yet he's swayed by the Tea Party the, uh, philosophy yeah, wing, yeah. with 14 to 15 senators in his pocket that will vote exactly as he says. Hmm. So regardless of the meeting, regardless of the briefs that we've given him about the Air Force and our need to recapitalize our weapon systems and do all the things that are required, he brings on sequestration and he and Cruz are obstructionists when we need leaders who will organize a group of people to accomplish a common goal. I hope Senator Lee is listening to this program because I love the man. He's so smart. He's a man of integrity. Well, vote like you're supposed to vote. You're a United States senator, not a Utah senator. But is that I guess that's part of the issue, isn't it? Because they're so everyone's got their constituency. Everyone's got their little hook. And yet we don't have we don't seem to have anybody that can transcend all of the politics. Well, that's where your show comes in. That's where wonderful programs come in, where it's a medium. It's not who's right. You know, when it comes to to uh, Obamacare, there's no bad guy or good guy. Why do we have to take sides? Yeah. Let's just do what's right and solve the issue. And the premise of having health care accessible to every American is such a noble Christian thing to do, Jewish thing, Muslim thing to do. Let's not itemize it in a, in a theology. I'm sorry to do that. It's just the right thing to do. But everybody wants to take sides. You're the yeah. bad guy. You're the good guy. No, it's this. No, it's Pro-business, that. Let's do the right business. thing. Yeah, right. Okay, so let's tie it into what's happening from a military perspective. I want your listeners to understand something. No, I'm not a fan of Obama, but this has nothing to do with politics. <laughs> if you see what he has done to respond to the ISIS crisis, and I've been there. Remember, I just got back from an 18-day military tribute tour where I was in Afghanistan and in all four major bases on the Iraqi border, where our response to ISIS begins and ends every single day. 
Do you realize that from a public perspective, a public relations perspective, all Obama is doing is taking a $500,000 rocket or bomb and blowing up a $10,000 truck so they have something to show on CNN and on the 10 o'clock news? That's the most ridiculous thing on the planet. And what the Americans need to understand is that we have only been flying 15 sorties a day. You can take that to the bank. 15 sorties a day against ISIS when we know where they are yeah. and they're so blatantly arrogant that they drive around in their vehicles, which they stole from the, from, from the Iraqi army with their black flags flying high. We know exactly where they are and they're out in public. And yet we only fly 15 sorties a day to pacify the public relations move that o- Obama thinks he needs to when in, when, when we went into, when we went into Iraq yeah. In the Iraqi war, yeah, we were sorties? flying 1,700 sorties well, you a that? day. Yeah. Yeah. Game on. Remember Game those on. days? But now, isn't he doing that to just respond to the constituencies and the people that are saying, no more war? Don't, we're not putting boots on the ground. We're not going to start risking American lives until everybody in the Middle East starts risking some lives. Exactly. But what the military will tell you, and I trust me, I'm at the Pentagon quite often, and I'm way connected to the inside scoop and conversations of all of the military services, especially the Air Force. When you talk to a military advisor, when you talk to a military general, a senior NCO, the only way you can get correct intel is with boots on the ground. Yeah, the only way you can there. tell where these ISIS folks are is when there's people living in their neighborhoods per- patrolling their streets. If we're serious about taking out ISIS, they only have 30,000 fighters. We could take them could all out it. in one day. Okay, we got to do this, Dan. Let's take a break. Again, we're talking to Dan Clark, uh, speaker, New York Times bestseller, uh, author as well, um, but father, also a patriot. He's teaching us about leadership skills. He teaches this in corporate America. And uh, now he's taking his message uh, to D.C. Let's see what we can do. Learning how to lead. Leadership is not just a position. It's, uh, it's the ability to create results. We'll take a break. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. We have uh, we've charged him up. Dan Clark is now on fuego. Dan Clark is a speaker, uh, New York Times bestselling author. Travels the country, travels the world. Quite honestly, goes on a lot of tours to, um, I guess, to entertain, but to teach. To support, to build the morale of the troops. In fact, you just got back from 18 days abroad as well. Sure. Took David Archuleta, the American Idol star. You went out. Created a pretty cool thing. I mean, and the reality is that this, too, is leadership because these these uh, these warriors, our our military, our, our armed forces, they're struggling. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of suicide out there. And so— you, you, the leadership thing, which is probably why it charges you up so much, is because this isn't this isn't just an exercise in leadership. This is a reality. This is you see major need for leaders, especially in our own government. Yeah, and again, now that I've you know had my 
cup of ice and I've calmed down during the break. <laughs> you know, we had troops in Afghanistan standing at attention in the hot sun for three hours waiting for President Obama's plane to land. And when it landed, he walked right past the troops, did not acknowledge them, and went straight into the basketball court to to engage in a pickup game with with some of the guys. Yeah. That's not hearsay. Those are generals, my close friends who emailed me and say, Clark, can you believe this just happened? That's never in the media. Is it? But is it? Do you think it's just his style? His his style. His style that he doesn't put his hand over his heart during the Star Spangled Banner. Let's not get political, yeah. Matt. But, but I, is I have, it? I'm I'm way too wired. It's it's <laughs> leadership that that comes out of the Utah Jazz organization. Let's talk about one of my heroes, whose name is Randy Rigby. He's yeah. the CEO. Uh, he's the president of the of the Larry H. Miller Group. For those fans of the Utah Jazz, I want you to pay particular attention to two things. You can create a culture. And 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 expect the, that the, you can't manage people. You manage expectations. Right. We know that. And you can create a culture as a leader that rises to the occasion or that invites people, employees, players to rise to the occasion to walk on higher ground. And Randy Rigby epitomizes that. If you go to an, a, an NBA game down at the Energy Solutions Arena – and I was just there, front row, sitting right next to the the, the, the opposing team, which happened to be the uh, the Brooklyn whoever, yeah, Nets, what are the they? Brooklyn Nets. Nets. Yeah. And I've played golf with Darren Williams, and he and I shot the bull about his injury, and he's decked out in his in his outfit, and he's just a great kid, and he loves Utah, and you know it was the controversy between him going head to head with our leader, with with Coach Sloan. Yeah, that's another radio show as well. But I noticed during the Star Spangled Banner that there was not one player on the Brooklyn team who stood at attention with his hand over his heart during the Star Spangled Banner. Not one of them. They're, some of them were talking to each other. Most of them had their heads down. They were swaying back and forth. And you look over the Utah Jazz, Randy Rigby's leadership expects every single one of those players in a Utah Jazz uniform to stand at attention and place his hand over his heart and mm-hmm. look at the flag, and they do. Yeah. NBA, one of the statutes that is written in every contract, every one of the 12 players on an NBA roster is required to give 12 public appearances in their community sometime during the season. And what the superstars do is they'll pay some rookie 10 or 20 grand to go do it for them so they don't have to. Hmm. Randy Rigby, under his leadership and the high expectations set for our Utah Jazz players, every single one of them, even the superstars, John Stockton, Carl Malone, Mark Eaton, Thurl Bailey, all the big wigs back in the day and now Hayward and all the rest of them, they are all required to do their 12 public appearances. And it comes from the leadership That's down. That's all about leadership. And what, yeah. it's, what, it's, what it's about is focusing on what's right, not who's right, right. and not letting the tail dag, wag the dog. When you have the inmates running the prison, something's wrong. <laughs> and when Darren Williams you know, scared off Sloan, there's something wrong with that. And with yeah. all due respect, he's a great player and he's a great young man, and I love the kid. But come on, we have got to respect the process of of leadership, which means on every day and in every day, you've got to lead and follow. That's interesting. Which requires humility, which requires but maybe sacrifice, the, maybe that's respect. It. See, notice you went to principles, leadership, sacrifice, respect, instead of the if, – if the principle is market-based economy, 
then you'll just push market. You'll just push whoever's the biggest name has the most power. Maybe a Darren can push out a Jerry Sloan. But if you if you want to teach the principles, then the principles have to govern instead of the marketplace. And it doesn't mean they're mutually exclusive, except maybe that's part of it, too, is maybe the best fundraiser makes it into politics. Maybe the best fundraiser is the one that can become elected. I mean, I mean, nobody beat Obama's. I mean, his ability to raise the money and to sell that message. Are you kidding me? The Obama change message. Do you remember? It resonated with everybody. But then a lot of people, I mean, many people have been woefully, you know, disappointed that it didn't happen. It didn't even turn the way he had thought it. I mean, even his greatest constituencies were were let down as well. Yeah. And if you can't legislate, you overregulate. Yeah. He still has figured out ways. That's not an example of leadership. But see, so so talk to me. So as we have all of these new ones coming in, like my my mom had a run in once in London with um, with Bill Clinton. My mom at the time was a sixty five year old woman walking down the down the streets in London, and she sees all of these black cars and black suits and all these guys, and then out of nowhere turns the corner, Bill Clinton. And my mom's a single woman, and I'm like, oh, really? And she's and he they catch eyes. And Bill Clinton, she's holding her camera, and Bill Clinton says, well, would you like a picture? Mm-hmm. And my mom just melts and says, absolutely. And she, he held her close, and they took a great picture. That woman will forever be changed by one man, president of the United States. He wasn't president then, but recognized one person and had a one-on-one interaction. Um, now, you know, he has his other problems, yet everyone thinks that that is Hillary. Exactly. That's, I agree. And you can't hand that over. That's charisma. That's that's the one to one. That's the extroversion. And all exactly. of a sudden we I think everyone thinks Hillary's going to win it. And on the other side, we have 20 people lining up. And I personally am not sure I believe in any of them as pure, true leaders. Exactly. And let's bring because you started bringing about the power of one, the one on one connection into politics. Let's talk about President Ronald Reagan, because I was around him. He had more legislation passed than any other president as, as far as is bilateral. Yeah. Because what he would do is he would call these individuals who were on the other side of the aisle. Like Tip up, O'Neill. And... Tip O'Neill. He and Ronald Reagan were best friends. That's amazing. And they didn't agree a whole lot on their political yeah. views. But at the end of the day, it's not who's right, it's what's right. Yeah. You know, Ted Kennedy and Orrin Hatch were on complete different sides of the aisle on so many occasions. But they became dear, dear friends and respected each other. And on the right issues, they came together and voted and used their influence. What Ronald Reagan would do was individualize the issues based on principles, not people. And then he would use his people skills to remind us about the principles. And then the the, the laws would take care of themselves. The votes would take care of themselves. That's what we need. Absolutely. We've lost that kind of the camaraderie of being a friend first before foe. So the friendship allows us to talk, to understand. It allows a Kennedy and a Hatch, two completely different people and completely different paradigms and approaches to life. Yet they – the the deep respect they had for each other. So you have to almost be friend first or at least respect. And it doesn't seem like we have that. It doesn't seem like we see a lot of respect between the Republicans and the I Democrats. Agree. Especially when you have obstructionists who are trying to shut down the government instead of organizing a group of people mm-hmm. to accomplish a common goal. Again, yeah. You know what? With all due, offense, all due respect to the system, so many times when we want to help 
you and I and our businesses, when we want to help counsel people to to get their lives back in order and balance out work and life, it's not them that are broken. It is the system. Yeah. When the CEO cannot allow or the system says you cannot leave the office until the CEO leaves and his life is so out of control that he leaves at 730 or 8 o'clock at night, you got to fix the system. So when you go as a new senator to Washington, D.C., and your goal is to change America and make a difference, God bless you. Yeah. But think about it. When you put a hard-to-catch horse in the same field with an easy-to-catch horse, most of the time you end up with two hard-to-catch horses. <laughs> when you put a healthy child in the same room with a sick child, most of the time you end up with two sick children. Moral of the story, to be disciplined, healthy, and significant, you got to hang around with the disciplined, healthy, and significant. Hmm. And as you've heard me say on your show before, and I'll say it again, we become the average of the five people we associate with the most. Which means we must be willing to pay any price and travel any distance to associate with extraordinary human beings. That's why people tune into your show. That's why they come and see you live. That's why I was such a fan of yours and I came to your date night the other night. That's the reality of leadership. We need to hang around with the right people who remind us about the right principles and laws and then inspire us to obey them regardless of the emotional weather around us. And when we get someone like that in the White House, bingo, America's back on track, and we are once again respected as the greatest country on the planet. It's interesting, and it's not, it's not the position, is it? It's, not, it's the person, and it's their ability to bring it to the office and then still respect the office. And it's, I guess White House is one thing, but it's, it's also the Senate leader. It's also uh, the speaker. I mean, it's, there's a lot of places that we could pick up more leadership. I totally agree. And that's, you know, let's just, you you think, think globally, but you act locally. We've all seen the bumper sticker. That's what our, that's what our senators and our representatives need to start doing. All politics is local. That's Tip O'Neill. I totally agree, brother. Do let's do this. Let's take a break, and um, I want you to. When we come back, I want to know what. So, all, all the listeners out there, what are they supposed to do? Mm. Because they're not going to go run. Some of them, some might, but they're probably not going to run. But what are they supposed to do to actually stir the pot? So, mm. what do the what do the boots on the ground do to actually move the generals? Yes, sir. We want to talk about that again? We're talking with Dan Clark. Go to his website, danclarkspeaks.com. dot com. The, the guy's met, I think, everybody on earth. And uh, has spoken to him at least 14 times. But he's he's not just motivational. He's he's the real deal. He teaches it nationwide. Um, and I think we're learning a lot today. More with Dan Clark when we come back right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So grateful for our guest today. Dan Clark is joining us. Dan is a New York Times bestselling author, 21 books. Uh, he's also in the Speaking Hall of Fame. I mean, that's a big deal. you got to basically be Zig Ziglar type to, to make that level of, of uh, the speaking world. He's, he's been in the White House with Ronald Reagan and uh, was a critical part of the Just, Just Say No program. He actually designed the content and rolled that out to 6 million teens across the country. That's a lot of no's, Dan. 
<laughs> yes, sir. you got a lot of nose there. But one of the things Dan's doing for us, I, I wanted him to talk about leadership because he already he goes into corporate America. He works a ton with the military, uh, even here in Utah, our local Air Force base, Hill Air Force Base. He he works there. But one of the things I wanted him to talk about is leadership. So far on the show, he's he's basically vented about Obama <laughs> and Senator Mike Lee, by the way, two completely opposite people on both sides of the spectrum. And yet I think you're right. There's a dearth. There's a an absence of the ability to lead your own constituency to the greater good. Yeah, it's it's the middle ground. Yeah. You know, come on. I mean, we need that. We can't but, continually but, be swayed by the extremes. But wait, 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 wait. I need to reiterate that. It's not the middle ground. Comp- ground. Compromise has no place in leadership. Let me be clear on that. Oh, interesting. What Compromise do you mean? has no place in leadership. The idea of compromise is you're going to give up something that makes you strong, and I'm going to give up something that makes me strong oh. so we can meet in the middle and get along. In that weak, so uh, in other words, together we're, middle area. Yeah, so to, <laughs> in other words, together we're weaker than we were apart. Yeah, we don't need that. The Zen Buddhists, if you can visualize an equilateral triangle and you give 50 percent to your to the relationship and I give 50 percent to the relationship so we can meet in the middle at the bottom, we're weaker together than we were apart. And if we want to meet at a higher level to accomplish the higher good and you put that 50 percent line up on the right side of the equilateral triangle and the other equal line, 50 percent line up the other side of the equilateral triangle, they can never connect at the top. It's a physical impossibility. Huh. But if at the bottom you give 100% to that relationship, you don't compromise, you don't give up anything. I give 100% to that relationship, which means it's not about who's right, it's about what's right. When you take that line, that 100% effort up the right side of the equilateral triangle, the other 100% line up the left side of the equilateral triangle, they actually meet at the top. And the Zen Buddhists call that the way, the higher way. And you'll uh, notice they both meet in the middle, but it's a higher yeah, middle. It's a higher middle. It's not my middle or your middle. Exactly. It's the new middle. It's the new it's middle, the new and middle. it's the right middle. Ah, oh, see, that's Okay, what so need. let's talk politics local from a military perspective uh, or from, from, a, from a, a making a national difference perspective. Our governor, Governor Herbert, amazing governor, he's next year. He will be the president of the Governor's Association across the country. Yeah. So here you have one individual who, with the right leadership skill set that he has and the right level of integrity and, and, and commitment to service before self and excellence in all you do, the three core values of the Air Force, he will make a difference and be able to guide our country from the, the, the boots on the ground level that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, right. From the constituents in all 50 states focused on who's right, no, what's right. Well, let's take it to the military. <clears throat> I was the honorary wing commander of the Hill Air Force Base at 388th Fighter Wing a few years ago, a gajillion years ago. And because I speak on all the bases and I'm in the highest level meetings at the Air Force back in the, in the Pentagon, I am so aware of the facts versus opinion. Hmm. Some things are true whether you believe them or not, Leadership 101. Everybody's hmm. entitled to their own opinion, but nobody's entitled to the wrong facts, Leadership 101. Shouldn't believe everything that you think. Leadership 101. Yeah. So at some point, we've got to cut through the clutter. Well, let's just take, for example, the new tanker. Our Air Force and, and our aircraft are so old, they're just falling apart. In order, order for us to be an expeditionary uh, Air Force or military, which means we can be anywhere on the planet within 48 hours, fully equipped and combat ready, we need to have a tanker. Because we refuel yeah. our aircraft at, on on their way to the, 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 the AOR, the area of responsibility, and we keep them airborne during the sorties so that we don't have to return back to base or the carrier. 
our KC-135 fleet is so old. Well, that's the Utah Air National Guard. And so we need the new tanker, a KC-46. And when you bring politics into it, Utah is put on the back burner where we don't get that tanker until the second or third awarding of Mm. where do these tankers go because of the politics and the way that our politicians vote and use their weight in Washington, D.C., when we have the the fighter squadron of the new F-35s coming to Hill Air Force Base to replace our F-16 right. squadrons. The joint strength. And we have the amazing, the totally amazing um, range, the bombing range out in the Wendover uh, Desert. Well, you take those two components. We need the, 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 the KC-46, the new, the new tanker, awarded to Utah. Not because it's who's right or politics of it the just day, fits. or this senator has more mm-hmm. seniority than ours, it just is the right thing to do. And when you take our tag, our adjutant general over the uh, the National Guard here in Utah, Burton's the real deal. Really? He is he's a leader in the country. He's well-respected by the leadership in the Air Force, the leadership in the Army. And that's just something that we should do, not based on Utah politics, but right. based on America's politics, which happen to include the need to bring the KC-46 but then to the Utah right now. In there. And the, once the politics sneaks in, it's kind of like, let's put it here. Let's put it here where it doesn't necessarily make sense. It may not, but, you know, we owe a favor. That's how it works. The A-10, you know, I've flown every fighter jet and every bomber in the Air Force, B-2, B-1, B-52, you name it, and all the, air, and all the fighter jets. Yeah. The only one I haven't flown is the is the F thirty five. There's no back seat. The F twenty two, no back seat, and the A ten, the Warthog, the close yeah. air support, you know, yeah. battle axe. Well, there's a controversial discussion going on right now that's 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 all about politics to keep the A ten as one of our weapon systems when it's obsolete, and the F thirty five will get there much quicker and have the same firepower. Right. And yet, because the A-10 squadrons are in certain states like Arizona, we have the senators and the House of Representatives from those states forgetting about what's right and what's best for the U.S. military and what's best for America and our expeditionary military force. And they're just pulling every stunt they can to make sure they get funding and keep the jobs in their state for the A-10. When the A-10 is so obsolete now, we've got to replace it. That's a classic example that of it, politics, and it's not leadership. Well, and it's I politics. can already tell. I mean, this. The funny thing is, we we just did a story about the IRS using equipment from the fifties. I mean, the IRS is still auditing you on some equipment that is from literally the nineteen fifties, and they're not even up to date. And yet, they're demanding everybody else be up to date. And so, and again, again, this is leadership, and it's more than one party, isn't it? It's this is a history. Of, you know, however many, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of leadership slide and uh, scope creep. So all that we're getting creep and slide. Um, how do we change it just as an average voter, as an average person? What am I supposed to do about my congressman, my government, my life? Take personal responsibility to educate ourselves on the issues. There's a phenomenon in psychology called confirmation bias. And what we do is basically only find the true facts that can back up our opinion or what part of the issue or what part of the story that we want to prove true. So I'm in I'm in Florida and it's January 30th and I'm there on January 31st, 2004. 
and it's the first ever free election for a free Iraq. And I'm leaving on February 14th to go over in 2005 to entertain the troops and fire them up about key issues. I'm flying over with three-star general, Central Command, Ninth Air Force. It was a big deal. I'm there for 16 days, spoke 23 times on 12 bases, and out of the USS Harry S. Truman Aircraft carried over 30,000 of our bravest men and women. Yeah. I stayed at Saddam's Palace, Camp Victory, for two nights, spoke in the ballroom, had fun, stole a key from his, you know, his, his <laughs> guest bedroom and brought it home because, you know, my toilet in my guest quarters was was made out of mother of pearl. Yeah, he was a mass he was a weapon of mass discretion <laughs> of, of destruction. In and of himself. But here's what I discovered. Yeah. I meet the actual individuals from the United States Air Force, the Army, and the United Nations who conducted the free, first ever free election in Iraq. Hmm. And while I was in Florida on the 30th and 31st, after the election, the only thing they reported on American television and all of the stations was that there were 11 explosions on that day, July, uh, January 31st. And so now I'm over in Saddam's palace. I meet the individuals who dropped off the ballots, conducted the the, the election, retrieved the ballots, counted them, and declared the victors. Mm -hmm. They showed me on the wall in Saddam's palace a plat map. There were 5,578 polling stations in a country twice the size of the state of California. I mean, the, the size of the state of California. And there were only 11 explosions. And what we heard about on American television, only the 11 explosions. Yeah. So I Where come was back. The vote? I'm interviewed on national TV. I'm doing all the talk shows, the count, counter, point, counterpoint shows. And every question that I was being asked by the, the liberal side of the issue was leading me to give negative answers to negative questions. And yeah. finally, I put my foot down and I said, hey, listen, I know what you're doing. Let me tell the American public what really happened. And I shared that there were 5,578 polling stations. He says, so what are you saying? There's no integrity in our news network, in our news reporting? I said, oh, no. We have to believe you. We have to trust you. There's a checks and balance system. Right. I said, but what, what I'm pointing out is that you're getting me, you're, 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 you're uh, getting true answers to the wrong questions. Is Michael Jackson one of the greatest songwriters who ever lived? Yeah. Is he one of the weirdest ducks that's ever been born on any planet? Yeah. Both cr- true, yeah. correct answers. You can ask a positive question to get a positive answer. You can ask a negative question to get a negative answer. Both answers are true, but it's about confirmation of what you want to back up. Yeah. Let's make sure as as voters that we do our re- research and due diligence to know the issues so we know who's telling the yeah. truth and vite, vote for the right person, not just who's right, but what's right. That's great, Dan. Sorry, I no, had to talk no, so no, fast. No, no, no. That was perfect. Dan Clark, by the go to his website, danclarkspeak.com. Dan Clark's, danclarkspeak.com. I can't say it. But, Dan, I appreciate it. And, again, it's it's up to you. Go vote. You go learn. You go study. You go read. Don't just listen to the stations that always say what you want to hear. Learn. Study. Talk to people. That's the way we could change this. Uh, we're out of here. We're going to take a break. Come back uh, after this break and uh, start our number two. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number two. Still Friday, though, right? 
pretty sure it's still Friday. Hour number two. It better be Friday. Ah, it's Friday. Don't you hate it when you put all that work in and you find out it's Thursday? Oh, or Monday. Anyway, welcome back to the program, my friends. Here is the deal. Uh, Great guest today. Great topics coming up. But before, we always like to hit some of the headlines. And who better to do that than Terry South, our friend, our newbie. Terry, what you got for us? (laughs) Just trying to see where you're going with that. Self-driving cars. Yeah. It's all the rage. I don't get it. Yeah. I like driving myself. Apple and Sony reports are joining Google and other companies in the effort to develop self-driving cars. Why? I think there's a an idea that they're safer because you're taking the human indecision element out. Well, and right. you're putting a computer in there that can tell proximity sensors and that kind of thing sure. to know where other cars are if you're switching lanes, all that kind of thing. But don't you like driving? I love driving. And like, don't you like just the fear that you can put into your family? No. When they're not in their seatbelt? I do enjoy the fear when my wife's like, what are you doing? We almost died. Like, we weren't even close to dying there. You want to see death? <laughs> Watch this. I know. But see, that's, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I get it. I get it someday. But I've been on many a ride at Disneyland. In a car. Right. It's on a track. On a track. Boring. Right. Now, Google, the the the... I guess the prototypes they've been using don't mm-hmm. have a steering wheel. See, that's crazy. You get in the car and you're just sitting in a chair. See, but then all you're, of a you're sudden. You're in a lounge as it drives you around. Yeah, but see, then what happens? Then Google, all of a sudden, you're like, where are we going? Where are we going? And you don't arrive at the office. You instead, you arrive at like a vacation holiday pitch where they <laughs> they make you listen to, you know. To get your free meal, get your if you yeah you listen to we this have pitch. condos at Lake Tahoe or mm-hmm. something yeah that's what I don't want I understand I like to get in my car I like to you know almost fall asleep at times well but you could not. do that I know you could you that. could pass out and the car would just deliver you to your location see that wouldn't be bad if if you could just hit the button like I'm just going to go on autopilot or whatever and then hit autopilot take a little snooze then take it off autopilot but you need a steering wheel. Before the Electronics Expo last year, month, yeah. right in Las Vegas, BMW brought out their prototype. They had a, a writer from, I believe it was Wired.com, hmm. got in the front seat of the car. They set up some videos. So you could, I think there's a YouTube video that's sped up, so you can watch this. But they started in California and drove to Las Vegas. Really? He put in some information into the into the the whatever the navigation computer and hit start, and it just drove away wow and he just sat there behind the 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 uh the steering wheel and he went to grab it and the the representative from the company next to him goes no 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 don't touch the steering wheel it'll Please, just sir. it'll just take care of it do not touch and he said it was wheel. the most boring drive he's ever yeah, had because no. he sat there and couldn't do a thing see i i think i think I mean, it's an idea but you know what if you're going to invest into something don't invest into cars that drive invest into robot cops did you hear about this? No. Robot cops. As early as 2016, robot cops will be patrolling your streets. Cops. Like, like RoboCop or mm-hmm. – he was part human still. Yeah. But okay. this is this is not RoboCop. This is robot cop. Okay. Androids. Uh-huh. Handing out parking tickets. Uh, so you it's can't really – It's a six-foot-tall police robot that patrols the streets. All right. 
It's going to be released by Telebot, developed in Florida International University uh, Discovery Lab. This six-foot-tall police officer will go around handing out parking tickets. It has a swiveling head, uh, fingers that move. Humanoid robot is controlled remotely by a person wearing an Oculus Rift headset and motion-tracking vest, armbands, and gloves. So there's a human on the other end of this? I guess. That's great. That's not even a real—that's a human. No, I am a robot. But really, there is going to be—part of it is they think it's menacing. They want it a little scary because who's going to—have you seen those parking shows where— Yeah. Yeah, who's going to mess with a robot? Parking wars where they start yelling at the Now in parking wars, this robot's just going to pull like a missile off of its shoulder and start (laughs) firing missiles at you. So if you make him look like the Terminator Mm -hmm. robot, that would be menacing. See, that's nuts. Glowing but red eyes, this that thing kind of can, thing? This has facial recognition. It can scan 1,500 license plates per minute. Wow. Think of how many tickets it could write. Right, the revenue. Think of the revenue this robot <laughs> could generate. That's where their selling point is, is the revenue generation. <laughs> and, you know, they've already been using robots to disable bombs. Correct. But what they don't know they're messing with? Parking wars. You don't mess with meter maids. No. They're tough. They're already bad to the bone. So if anything's going to take on the robot industry, it's going to be the meter maids. Na- <sighs> NASA, this was a story I found. NASA wants to send a submarine to one of Saturn's moons, Titan. Wow. Because it's like methane or what? I don't know. Yeah. Whatever the liquid is that's covering the planet. It's not water. So they're going to go drop a submarine. To explore what's under the water. That's cool. You think that's a good? Yeah. How long does that take? Um, 2040, they're yeah. shooting for. <laughs> I'll be busy by then. Right. A lot of, you, you hear these things and it's like, oh, you know, 2040. Yeah. Here's our pie in the sky idea. But the idea is they're, they're, they don't know what's actually in this liquid that's there. Well, do, do you remember when, um, Luke Skywalker landed in a marsh on some island or on some planet? Right. When you went to see Yoda. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't mess with that stuff. There's monsters. Yeah. Everywhere. That's weird. But Yoda saved him, so he was safe. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Searching back- you are. Yeah, I was waiting for that. <laughs> That's weird. Back here on Earth, by the way, just one more to just show you why we probably ought not explore other worlds until we figure out this world. Uh, in Eugene, Oregon, um, Lane County authorities, this is from the AP, say that a suspect brought in for questioning later punched himself in the face <laughs> and then signed an assault complaint against detectives. Unfortunately, for the suspect, a video recorder was running in the holding room where he was beating himself up. That's See, awesome. We don't need to explore Jupiter till no. we figure out what was going on in that guy's head. Yeah. Let's not even go there. <laughs> Punching himself in the face. The footage shows the 33-year-old Alexander Robin Tomaszewski, which I'm, I'm, I'm saying his name because I want his family to know. Just so you're aware. It shows shows Alexander hitting himself, leaving two black eyes. (laughs) And anyway, then and the investigator said he told them he hoped filing a complaint would get him released. Could you you do that? No. Do you have the nerve to punch yourself in the face? I don't. No, I don't. I don't even have the nerve to punch you in the face. Really? I don't have that. I don't. No, I'm not. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I can get aggressive. It just depends. I mean, if I had to, I could run into a wall. Really? Head first. <laughs> Without, like, flinching or but pausing? Because I'm in the media, I'd look for cameras. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> I'm not going to do all that work for nothing. 
That is funny. They caught it all on, on film. That's pretty sad, isn't you, it? You'd see someone doing that, and then you, know, you claim the brutality. And That guy, man, he has a wicked right hook. <laughs> uh, wasn't that you, Alexander? Oh, Anyway, yeah. it's kind of messed up. Kind of messed up. So uh, as we uh, as we go into this next segment, I, I, we've got a great professor coming on. Professor Forstay uh, is her name, and she is going to talk about gender equality. Now we always we always talk it right, women are equal, but in reality, when it comes to business, when it comes to politics, politics, are they really treated equally? Do we see women, and do we treat them equally at, at home, in the workplace, and in politics? We've got a great professor who's going to walk us through that fun discussion up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. So good to uh, to have this next guest coming on. Uh, you know, gender gender equality has been such a hot topic of debate over the you know last 150 years or so, and yet, especially when you think about it in the, the last few decades, there's been it seems like such an advance towards more equality and, and understanding and seeing that the rights uh, for women we, we need to we need to push harder on that and make sure that they they, they do truly feel more um, equal and and actually, more, I guess, more seen as equal. You know, um, when it comes down to it, though, according to a new a poll, Pew Research Center poll, the majority of Americans think that women are just as capable of being good leaders in politics and business as men. While, you know, this is great progress and everything, the question is, does this opinion actually translate into reality when it comes to how we treat them in the business place and in, and in the political world. Here to share her expertise on this topic is Renata Forsty, who is a BYU professor and um, of sociology, and we are so grateful to have her on the show with us. Dr. Forsty, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, I mean, everybody, you know, statistically, the Pew Research Center is saying we're all on board, right? We know women are just as capable of being good leaders in politics. As business, actually, we're not all on board. But uh, how is that? How do you see that playing out in the real world? Well, certainly, you know, I think as the Pew study shows, people consider both men and women competent. The problem isn't that, you know, women can't do the work. The problem is that they don't have the same kind of ambition that men do. There's some other studies that have come out um, looking in particular women in politics. And uh, this is... uh, from the American University School of Public, of, of Public Affairs. And essentially what they found, they did a survey of college students, and they found that you know, young women just don't grow up with the same kinds of ambitions and expectations in terms of going into business and going into politics. That young men, they aren't socialized the same, they aren't encouraged the same. And so it isn't that we don't have women who could do it. It's just that they don't run. Is, we don't it, have women candidates. Well, and I, I guess, yeah, is that what is what drives the ambition? I mean, is it, I guess it's just opportunities, maybe just history. Well, and I think part of it is just socialization. We just don't, we don't tend to raise our daughters the same as our sons with the same kinds of expectations. I mean, girls are less likely 
to be encouraged to go into sports and to be competitive and to run for student government. Yeah. Their parents don't think about them growing up and running for political office. And, and so I think until more women sort of break through those barriers and do that kind of work and they become more visible and we begin as a society to think of that as more normative, um, we still tend to think of, you know, I mean, you even look at the majors that a lot of young women go into in college and they still tend to be very gendered. Yeah, nursing, right. teaching. Teaching, right. Yeah. So it isn't that they aren't capable. Yeah, it's right. It's just that they don't, they don't grow up thinking, you know, it's not on their radar screen. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens because now we have more women graduating from college than men nationally. Um, That's true, huh? It's not in the state of Utah, but you certainly see that nationally. And so it's more, and a lot of those women are going into business. So it may be, you know, further in future generations that there will be more women, you know, making inroads in terms of the business world. But politically, we still just don't see many women running. And um, I mean, I guess historically, too, you know, they they want a family, they're wanting to raise their family. And so they might then stay at home. I mean, do you you see major changes in that as maybe a driver that might start changing the ambition? I know we just heard of a study yesterday about more and more husbands are now becoming stay at home husbands, uh, which is, you know, something we're not we weren't historically seeing. Well, I think I mean, certainly that's those are changes that have to happen. Part of it is, I mean, there is still a motherhood penalty as women go into the workforce, uh, and there's, there is this fatherhood bonus, you know, that, yeah. that women are seen as, if they are mothers, they're seen as less committed to the workforce because they have children, um, whereas men, we sort of have this stereotype, well, they're going to have to provide for their families, so they're going to be more committed. Uh, and those kinds of biases, that, you know, do, and those kind of, do create a penalty for women. They do, you know, women are more likely to move in and out of the labor force, but they're just as competent, and they, I think there's actually a lot of skill set that women develop, you know, managing a home and children and family life that they can translate into both their community, as, you know, in terms of the leaders. Uh, and we just don't necessarily value that. But I think as maybe more men do participate at home, that's what's going to make it easier for women to participate in the public sphere. And if, you know, if we're willing to work together as equal partners and to make it happen you know, and value that, I think men will value the contribution at home more once they participate more. Too. <laughs> yeah, so I believe me. It's a positive thing. Absolutely. And I like the idea, too, that, I mean, it's, it's not about aptitude. It's not about ability or capability. It's, I mean, that's a kind of a given. It's now just more about ambition. And these are very subtle, these are very subtle issues, right? The ambition to want to maybe run for office. Or um, the penalty, like the motherhood penalty, but it also brings such a different feel to a, a business environment. As I, I do a lot of business consulting, and I'm seeing more and more, uh, I guess what had historically always been, I guess, feminine traits being brought into businesses and business training, more mediation, more collaborative solution solving, more um, just just kind of, kind of a kinder, gentler empathic understanding of business and life. Well, and wouldn't that be nice to see in our political realm? Holy cow. <laughs> totally. I mean, well, and, and that's part of it. I mean, I think as a society, as we, come to, we, we have historically not valued things that are feminine. Yeah. Um, you know, the throw like a girl kind of thing is a, an insult. Um, and so I think part of it is being willing to raise our boys 
to value things that are feminine and those kinds of qualities and not devalue them as a society. But you're right, it is, it's very subtle. It's very much sort of this uh, underlying sort of social norms or expectations that we grow up with. Is it something that you... The, I mean, it seems like some of this is just so generational in a way you almost you just need people to die. Oh, that sounds bad. But you, you, it's almost like you just need evolution. I don't know what it is. You just need generations. You need time to kind of push through some of this. Well, and, and I think it I think you, you it will happen. And, and part of it is as more and more women are going on and getting a college education and just that experience in and of itself, you know, influences their thinking and what they think they're capable of doing. Um, and as more of them move into areas that were maybe traditionally male and men move into areas that were maybe seen as more traditionally female and men are more willing to stay home and interact with their children and be involved fathers, that's going to set up a different dynamic in how we socialize you know, future generations. I mean, I, I guess we always assume we're going to kind of um, balance but it seems like to me, as humans, we don't balance very well. Pretty much anything, we go from we go from one extreme, and we'll swing through the the kind of balance spot. I mean, it seems like there's a really beautiful happy medium where we all pick up everybody's traits, and we we you know we're open to all of these roles and ideas. And yet, I, I wonder, is it going to just swing another way? You know, is well, it? I mean, sometimes there are those experimenting, you know, on the fringe kind of things. But I think on the on the whole. Um, I mean, I, uh, the young people that I work with, I'm really optimistic. Um, yeah. And I see just huge changes, both in young men and young women, in terms of how they think about themselves and think about interacting with other people and think about their own future and family life. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm optimistic that we can work together and, and value the contributions of both, you know, feminine and masculine traits. It's, um, it's, it's an interesting thing as well. Right now, with so many, uh, with well, with Hillary Clinton on the verge of, I guess, announcing sometime in the next couple of months, two, three, four months, whatever. I mean, this could be. Do you sense that having a, a candidate as, I guess, strongly positioned as the wife of an ex-president and a senator and a strong, strong person? Do you sense what? What do you sense that will do for this for women? Well, I, I think, again, it's, it's the role modeling. It's showing that it is possible that she is. I mean, she's also sec- been Secretary of State. That's you know, right. Very competent yeah. uh, individual. Part of it is that in, in some of these other studies have shown that sometimes women are hesitant to get involved in political life because of the way women are treated in the media. Um, you know, certainly there seems to be a much more, you know, a lot of the talking heads are much more critical of women, what they wear, what right. they say. You know, their emotions, uh, much more so than they are of men. And, you know, I mean, poor Hillary Clinton had this man following around telling, you know, screaming, iron my shirt. You know, things <laughs> oh, that don't geez. happen to male candidates. Yeah. So I think that, exactly. you know, that discourages a lot of women from wanting to get involved in politics or move up into leadership positions. But I think as we have competent women who are able to manage that, and maybe over time as people begin to accept and realize that these women are, you know, the Elizabeth Warrens and the Hillary Clintons are very talented and competent and that they bring a perspective to the table that we need. Yeah. And, and that we haven't. It's different for, for American families. And we, yeah, we haven't had it on, you know, I guess, we, I guess we've always assumed we've had it behind the scenes, but we haven't had it in under the light. I think it's fantastic. I mean, it, it, it's, 
it's powerful to um, to know. I mean, I think it was empowering as a country to have a black president. How powerful was that as as a movement and to show kind of some healing? And I think the same thing could so be true with just breaking some of these typical beliefs. Well, and especially when you look at so many other countries that have women in you know positions of leadership. I mean, I think people would be surprised to find that the U.S. is behind. Yeah. Know, I mean, really, like, like Rwanda, or you know, I, I mean that we just don't have. Um, in fact, let's let's percent of women. Let's do this. Let's take a break because I want to come back and I'd love you to maybe address that a little bit because um, we seem so, like such a progressive, in a way, advanced country. So why do other countries like Rwanda and uh, I don't know? I mean, Great Britain. I mean, why, why do why are others so? open. Why are some so much more willing to just allow women to lead? Uh, We'll take a break. We're going to come back and continue this discussion with Dr. Renata Forsty here from Brigham Young University, Department of Sociology. Great stuff. Great insight. Trying to do what we can to understand better gender roles and, and the power of equality and really what's getting in the way. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. to the Matt Townsend Show, and uh, we are learning today, learning, you know, we try to do it on the show, give you the opportunity, take uh, something that you might learn in the news, and then go a little bit deeper and bring in some experts that can help us see it more clearly. Dr. Renata Forsty is joining us, and she is a professor here at Brigham Young University and um, is, is guiding us along. She's a professor, by the way, of sociology here at Brigham Young University. She received her Ph.D. from Chicago University and is, is teaching us a little bit about, you know, uh, a better understanding, I guess, of the Pew Research study that, that says, you know, overall Americans think women are just as capable, um, and yet they, they may not be getting the same type of opportunities, real life. They're, they are paying some penalties one penalty we, we talked about earlier was called the motherhood penalty, which is what happens when they stay home to be a mom. And sometimes they might get behind in skills or when they try to come back, uh, they may not necessarily get the same pay or they may not have the same skill set that they did before and um, and things like that. So we're talking to, again, Dr. Renetta Forsty. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. So great to have you. And I mean, I am fascinated by the Elizabeth Warren kind of Hillary Clinton uh, battle that I don't know that it actually exists, but apparently everyone's talking about it. Certain parts of the Democratic um, Party would love Senator Warren and not um, Hillary Clinton. And yet even just yesterday, Senator Warren said, you know what, I'm totally willing to help her any way she needs me. And she's said over and over, I'm not running for president. It's almost like the the media want, they want to see a cat fight between two women fighting for this position of power. 
Well, yeah, the media wants <laughs> whatever they can get. They're, whatever they can conjure. You know, whatever whatever right. controversy they can stir up. Right. Know? And certainly that's an easy thing to attribute to women. Um, but I think both, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton and, and Elizabeth Warren are seasoned yeah. politicians, and they're very competent and, I, you know, uh, very professional. And I don't, I don't see that, you know, as... It might be talked about by the talking heads, but I just don't see it going in that direction. I mean, I, you know, certainly Hillary Clinton has is, is positioned in a better place in terms of having the infrastructure to run a campaign, et cetera. Right. And, but that doesn't mean that Elizabeth Warren won't run at some point. No, you know? no. Um, well, in fact, uh, the Clinton Foundation was t- with Bill Clinton and uh, and Hillary. They, they, you know, they were able to raise two billion dollars over the last 10 years. So they're doing okay at fundraising, and she's you know she is a powerhouse. Do you sense you brought up the media earlier and how maybe the media portrays women isn't necessarily how they might portray a man in the same situation? I mean, a lot of men we we just would call strong, you know, dominant, making something happen. But when a woman might go strong, a lot of times it's misinterpreted. It's called something else. Right. Well, and. And if, if a woman gets, you know, teary-eyed or something, a little emotional over something, they take that to the extreme, whereas, you know, John Boehner has broken right. his pride how many times? Exactly. Nobody questions his masculinity or questions his competency to be able to, you know, lead. So it, 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 there's very much a double standard, I think. You need the pioneer, don't you? You need somebody to get in there that just does it and just proves that the myths were all wrong. Yeah. And I guess... I mean, why is it? We talked about earlier other countries that have, um, you know, that, that that place women in these powerful positions. I mean, what's the difference between some of these countries that have already done it and the United States? Why are we so behind the times? Well, I don't, you know, I don't know exactly why some, you know, but some countries have more of a matriarchal kind of uh, culture where they value more the contributions of women. Um, some countries, women serve in the military just as, you know, equally with men, uh, and so there's more of a uh, recognition of the contributions that women make. Um, so, I, you know, I think there's a lot of different factors. They all vary in terms of um, some of the, the issues uh, within those individual countries. You know, some, in some places, you know, like in Liberia, it's been women that have organized and helped, you know, fight to end civil war uh, and have been very politically engaged Less so in this country, I mm-hmm. think. Um, so part of it, you know, it, it has to do with the history. But I, I think that things are changing slowly here, and I think as people become more open to um, to women being in, in higher positions of leadership and recognizing, you know, the contributions that they bring and that they bring a different perspective and that that, that perspective is important. Um, and if we start to value... Those contributions, and I think part of it too is if if men are more willing to engage in what is sometimes seen as more feminine work and, and want to be involved fathers and yeah. you know that perspective in their life, then then we don't we don't see those we don't see those things as masculine or feminine. We just see it as work. It's not men's work and women's right. work. It's just work, and that all of us can participate in it, and all of us are equally competent, and we can bring different talents and perspectives to the table and that we all benefit from that. I mean, I guess that's the key, huh? Bringing, bringing gifts, bringing your unique gifts to the, to the position you're in. 
but I think there is a lot of competition among the media, you know, for viewers, uh, and they tend to sensationalize things. And, mm-hmm. and and women still are very highly objectified in the media. I mean, you look at all the commercials, and they're all about women's bodies, and women's ten- women tend to be treated more as objects as opposed to subjects. Yeah. In a lot of the media, and I and I think that that creates a double standard that it makes it more difficult for women to to be able to show their competency. You know, in fact, I wanted to ask you, uh, Sports Illustrated just came out, and uh, I wouldn't know it because uh, my wife took my Sports Illustrated um, swimsuit edition, threw it in the garbage. Does that set women back? I mean, you've got here we are talking about athletes. It's a whole magazine about athletics and athletes. And then there's an entire edition devoted just to women in swimsuits. Well, I mean, it, that's part of what holds, I think, women back is that there is, you know, there's this underlying objectification of women and women being seen um, as passive and something to look at as opposed to, see, you know, and seeing their bodies as sort of a project. Women are always worried about how they look. They're worried about their weight. They're worried about, you know, um, their performance in terms of their appearance to other people, whereas men see their bodies more as tools, that they're able to be active and use their bodies to do work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of that, too, is, you know, it's perpetuated in the media, and it's also just part of, I think, uh, sort of underlying part of the socialization that we have. We tend to, you know, raise girls to think more about, worry more about their appearance and, and pleasing other people in that way as opposed yeah. to thinking about, you know, participating in sports and per- thinking about their bodies more as a tool to, to do work and to develop their talents that way. So, you know, th- again, those are some of those underlying kinds of social expectations that I I think slowly will change, mm-hmm. um, but they're certainly perpetuated in the media. Did you happen to see, um, oh, I was dying to ask you this, did you happen to see about what uh, Vice President Biden, the latest kind of um, uproar is, he was, he was, they were doing the swearing in, I guess, of the new Secretary of Defense. And there's a picture of, the vice president placing his hands on the wife of of this person being sworn in. Did you see that? Uh, I've, yeah, I've seen the photo. And in, in fact, and, and I, you know, I mentioned it a couple of days ago on the show. And but it was it's it's too personal. It seems like now. I mean, unless they're really, really, really best friends. And he's leaning in, whispering in her ear. And I, I kind of thought, you know, that's weird. It's kind of the creepy uncle thing. But then. Then there was a backlash where a lot of people are like, look, until we get we need to deal with that until we deal with that, just kind of patronizing, touching um, of women. And even in an innocent, I guess, way, he would say it's there's something that's just subtle about control. Yeah, well, and, and, and again, it's this, this. I mean, that's why women are more likely to experience sexual harassment in the workplace. Or- yeah. In politics, and and again, it's just this this attitude of sort of seeing women as objects, and 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 the way we, you know, masculinity is about being dominant and sure, confident know, expectation of young boys that they're supposed to be sexually active and they're supposed to be dominating and they're supposed to be controlling, and and you know, women are supposed to be passive and girls are supposed to be pretty and have boyfriends that like them, and it's not about them being 
active in, in developing their own talents. It's about, you know, who, you know, who's interested in them yeah. kind of thing. And, I, and again, those are, those are sort of these underlying expectations that we need to address. What, um, what, would you, raise our children. what would you have us tell our kids? We have about a minute and a half. Teach us what we should be teaching our children as far as, especially our young, our daughters and our boys, about women and about their potential and abilities and skills. And how, how should we go about the teaching? Well, I, I think that in, in a lot of ways we should teach them both in the same way in that we encourage them both to get education. We encourage them both to develop their talents. We encourage them both to be involved in sports or music or, you know, and that we involve both of them in work at the home as well as, you know, work out in the public sphere, um, that we model that kind of appreciation um, for the contributions of men and women. And we don't separate things into, you know, public and private sphere. This is girls' work. This is boys' work. It's just work. Yeah, and we we do it together, and we um, value the contributions of what both do. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it really is. It's it seems like common sense, really, but I guess in in so many ways we have bifurcated the world, right? Male, female, and um, it doesn't have to be that way. And I think that's powerful. And, and I think too, just pushing on it more, and 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 I think having a presidential candidate that is a female is is going to push everybody's paradigm to a different level, even in the questions we ask, you know, in the positions we take. It's powerful. We yeah, appreciate you. Put it on the radar screen and makes it an option that you know little little girls as well as women can start to actually think about. That's right, and and maybe do something that <laughs> we haven't seen done get some more progress going, get some more action happening. It's powerful. We appreciate you. Uh, Dr. Renata Forsty is her name. She's here on faculty at Brigham Young University teaching us differences and really not the differences, just the power when we can all treat each other equally. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. More interesting ideas, more tools to help you through this crazy thing called life right after this break. Friends to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, as we wrap up this uh, the eight o'clock hour here, we got to talk about the Oscars, Academy Awards. Eighty seventh Academy Awards will be coming up this weekend. You know, I'm not big into the Academy Awards, but my wife is. I know she'll be watching. She'll be checking out the gowns. Um, she. But the funny thing about this whole thing, we haven't. I bet we haven't seen five movies this year. I mean, in this pool. We're not big movie people. But we have somebody that is. Sean O'Neill's his name. Producer extraordinaire. Yeah. And by the way, Sean, this is your last outing on the show, isn't it? Sean's... I don't... Could be. I don't know. Sean, uh, is this new news to you? <laughs> no. Sean's been relegated to... Uh, Higher ground in this organization. Uh, okay, if you consider it higher ground, okay. Well, I'll just power, wait for the flood to the come. Authority. Yeah, in the flood, you are definitely on the <laughs> higher ground. 
Um, but do you do you look forward because as a movie critic who goes to about a movie a week? Yeah, about that. Do you? I mean, you've seen fifty movies. Then that's crazy town. I saw. Let's see. How did I, how did I figure it out to be last year? Um, I you know I don't remember how many I saw. Um, I, I, I've never kept count actually how, in a year, but it, it is about one or sometimes it's two a week. Is it really? Yeah. See, I don't know. It's a lot of work. I, I find it a lot of fun, actually. See, that's the difference. So do you look forward to the Academy Awards? Uh, I don't, really. Why? I, I look forward to the show. I like watching the show. I like the spectacle around the show. Yeah. Um, the actual awards themselves, eh. Eh. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't see how such a – how can you judge one person's acting – Right. Uh, you know, performance against another person's when you're, you're doing two totally different characters, and uh, I don't know. Well, Kanye West does it with music. Well, Kanye judges everybody, though. <laughs> what you need is Kanye there to run the show. And see, they have Neil Patrick Harris, who's going to be in charge well, of the show, but they need Kanye up there. What you do is is after you know after the the accountants have tabulated all the votes and yes. stuff, and then you open and you say the Oscar goes to. You hand it over to Kanye. Is this right? Yeah. What do you think, Kanye? <laughs> How do we do on that? <laughs> no, this isn't right. It should go to this person. My girl who's Beyonce wasn't even nominated. <laughs> yeah, Beyonce would win every award. Isn't that funny? <laughs> but to me, I, I agree. I think it's a little weird to be judging it in a way. I mean, there are to really, me it is but too. there are really good shows that you know. It's like it's like figure skating. I'm sorry, but there was I saw it's, a story though that a lot of the people that are voting are actually like the the housekeepers and the maids of the stars. You have to wonder because the ballots get mailed out now. Supposedly the actors vote for the actors, directors vote for directors. You vote for yeah. each category. Now, as for best picture, everybody votes for that. Yeah, but apparently, so, in all honesty, it's the housekeepers voting for everybody. But the thing is. I don't know if people know this, but when you go, when you are a part of the academy, you actually get, you can either get sent or they will have spe- special screenings for you to go and see movies that are under consideration. Oh. They will send you a little thing that says, for your consideration. Is it like a red box? And it's a free, no, <laughs> it's a free DVD of the movie. Oh. And you get to keep it. That's it. Mm-hmm. See, and then they, that's what they're giving to the housekeepers. Well, kind of, so, but you wonder, you know, does the housekeeper watch the movie and then make the vote for the the person or what? And the a vote from the Academy of Housekeepers goes to. <laughs> but I mean, the cool thing is, I guess you're being to be honored by your peers. That's I that's guess that's the big. biggest honor is yeah. to be honored by the people who you you work with. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's nice. But then there's a the whole political side of it, and there is. I'm not sure I want to go listen to a bunch of political. That, chatter. See, that's that's. That's what gets to me sometimes is is sometimes the speeches, the, the acceptance speeches just get too political to me. Mm-hmm. And the uh, selfies, well, the Ellen selfies. <laughs> Come on, Ellen. I'm not sure if Neil Patrick Harris will do that this year. He's he's hosting, actually, but you know there will be some sort of musical number involved. Oh, yeah. He's going to put but he does a good. Together. He does such a good job at those. Yeah, he does. Almost like, I mean, it's like Billy Crystal. Yeah, all do you remember that? It's, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a class guy there. I don't know. I probably will just, I don't know. I bet I'll just go on a walk. <laughs> well, I do. I, I mean, okay. So I see movies almost weekly. Uh-huh. But out of the eight movies that are nominated for Best Picture this year, I've only seen three. Hey, what are some of those? Because I bet I haven't seen any of them. Well, you start off with American Sniper. 
Haven't seen it. Yeah, that's a Clint Eastwood directed film. But I hear it's it would be my favorite sniper movie. Y- yeah. It's probably the only sniper movie you've ever yeah. seen. But I've heard it's fantastic. Yeah, I have too. I know um, Bradley Cooper is up for best uh, actor. Best acting category but in do you this think, movie? I mean, he's taken on the whole Academy here. I mean, the he whole is. Academy, a lot of people are against this movie. They are. So I wonder how that'll go. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Now, the one that everybody is talking about that I haven't seen that I would really love to see is called Birdman. Yes. What it's is a, that about? Michael Keaton movie. Okay, It's yeah. basically a, a washed-up superhero who writes his own play and is doing it on Broadway, but he's still got this problem of Birdman coming back to haunt him. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a superhero that he played. That's cool. So you wonder if it's... it's... He won a Golden Globe for that, He did, yes. Uh, Now, the other movie, uh, another movie in this category is called Boyhood. Uh This movie took 12 years to make. Oh, this seems fascinating. This is fascinating to me. Yeah. That somebody would turn around and give somebody money every summer to go out and film more of this movie. And it took 12 summers... Over you know the space of twelve summers to, to film this movie, and was you it see a, this is about a divorce, a dad that divorces, mm-hmm. mom divorces, and the boy grows yeah. up. I guess exactly. Ethan Hawke actually plays the dad. Oh, that's cool. Patricia Arquette plays the mom. And, well, how does uh, that not win an award? I just for but tenacity. Who's, yeah, who's committed to that? Who's, exactly. Nobody's ever been that committed. That's that is tough. Um, and then you have the Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, that sounds which good. won the Golden Globe for best uh, picture comedy slash musical. Uh huh. And that's a Wes Anderson movie. I love Wes Anderson. He's he's very colorful in his stuff. He's quirky. He's got some strange stories. If you've never seen Moonrise Kingdom, go see that. Hmm. I love that movie. I haven't seen Grand Budapest Hotel, but I heard Ray Fiennes is fantastic in it and does a very good job with this quirky script that makes is just a weird story. They say uh, they say Julianne Moore is going to win. Um... For the show, the woman, the the professor that has Alzheimer's. Uh, here's Alice or uh, yeah, something. Yeah. Alice, no, I can't still remember. Alice, still Alice. Yeah. Oh, see, which is big because we have Alzheimer's in our family. And... But that's that's not listed as one of the best pictures. No, I know. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Now, uh, the Imitation Game is the next one I wanted to talk about. That one I have seen. This is with um, uh, <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh yeah, and Kira Knightley. Uh, he plays. Um, uh, the uh, the gentleman from England, and I cannot remember his name now, who solved basically the Enigma. Oh, that's right. Uh, machine. Yeah. From the Nazis. Uh huh. This is a fantastic film. It's I a wonderful, wonderful biopic. I haven't seen any of these. It's just incredible. And then you have Selma. Yeah. That is. Uh, it's a wonderful picture. I've seen it. Have it's, you seen it? It is fantastic. Uh, if you want your kids to know what it was like in the 60s, this is a very good insight into what was happening with racial tensions at the time. It's it's fabulous. Uh, then you have the theory of everything, which is the picture about um, Stephen Hawking yeah. and his wife and their relationship and his dealing with his uh, Lou Gehrig's disease as he's going through that. Hmm. Uh, I didn't quite think it was best picture material myself. But some people think it is. How's the actor in that? He, he's Eddie, Red, be. Eddie Redmayne played yeah. Stephen Hawking. I, I uh, he did a very good job. He was able to contort himself to, to look like Stephen Hawking, and uh, so that that was insightful and interesting to see how he did that. Um, interesting to see him progress through this disease, and he had to act through that. That was pretty good, but the rest of the story was kind of just not – I didn't connect with it myself. Not quite there. Yeah. And then the last one is a, a movie called Whiplash. 
which is uh, if I've seen I've seen clips of this movie. I haven't seen the whole thing. And the the guy in this movie, um, the, the the music teacher in this film, is harsh. Mm-hmm. I mean, to to the to the point of actually f- causing physical harm to students. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. He's a music teacher. He's got a jazz uh, group in this music school, and he wants perfection, and he demands perfection, and he expects perfection, and he gets perfection. Hmm. See, isn't that funny? I I haven't seen any of those, but I do. I have seen How to Train Your Dragon two and Big Hero six. The battle well, those are those of are up for best nominated. Yeah. yeah, those are that's going to be an interesting category. But I guess I that shows my life right there. <laughs> no, it the, doesn't the show Lego your movie? life. Yeah, and the Lego Lego movie is not nominated. Yeah, but uh, there's also um, Tales of Princess Kaguya, mm-hmm. Song of the Sea. That's right. I mean, that's, I believe see, that's again, from Japan. That's my that, that's my category. Well, Song of the Sea is another one. Yeah, and then uh, you have the Box Trolls also in there, which I didn't get to see, but I've heard is very very good. What is Box? I, I haven't even heard of Box Trolls. Yeah, it came out a f- few months ago. So you, that's you how out of that I am. It's on video. You can catch that with your kids. Hey, but one thing you brought up on another show was yeah. um, the the segment they do, you know, three, four minutes music playing and all of the in people mo- that have- In memoriam. Yeah. Th- yeah. That's a, that, I like that. I do like that one Is a that, lot. I mean, myself. that seems a little like morbid, but- you know, I, I that's why I hate to bring it up sometimes because it does sound that way, but really, doesn't it? really, all of these people have changed lives, and you've seen them in these movies. And You know, that's one thing I, I enjoy. That's why I enjoy going to the movies because I think it does change my life sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are other experiences where I go to the movies and I wish, well, I wish I could get that two hours yeah. back. And get those thoughts out of your head. <laughs> that too. How did I, <laughs> how did I let that But I do, I, I like the in memoriam uh, section just because I get to go back and remember the folks that did inspire me with their lives and with their acting and, and all the things that they've done. It's cool. I mean, it's an art. Again, I don't know that you judge. I don't know mm-hmm. how you judge it. I really don't. I think you should leave it up to the housekeepers because I think in the end you'll probably get probably a better shot than leaving it up to some of the experts. Well done, Sean. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, hey, happy watching to everybody this Sunday. As you go watch the Academy Awards, we're going to take a break, come back, uh, wrap up uh, hour number two, start on hour number three. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right after this break. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number three, which means it's almost time to go home for the weekend. One more hour, tie it up with a bow, then the weekend begins. We have our afternoon party that we have every Friday. Don brings brownies, right? Brownies, donuts. He says something like, we made it, and everyone goes, I yay. I was, I was watching last was Friday. I was yeah. like, this is really kind of different. Well, a lot of, well it, see, a lot of times they underestimate us. Like they didn't know that we could actually make it a week. Right. But we nailed it. I get that. I kind of felt like people were underestimating the show. Yeah. 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 
They just are like, wow. You're still here. I can't. I heard someone congratulate you making it to Friday. I'm no, like, totally. Really? They're like, He's going to make it to more. I just won 40 bucks <laughs> because none of us thought you could do it. And we did it. And now we've done two weeks. As soon as we have three weeks in the in the bag here, guess what we got to do? What's that? We're going to take two weeks off. Nice. And then we just play reruns. A little overworked there. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Anyway, hour number three. Uh, we always like to start it off with headlines. Who better to do that than Senior South? Yeah. The Argentinian government yes. may have tapped the Pope's phone. Now, this was pre-Pope. Pre-Pope. But he was still, you know, Pope-to-be, so cardinal. Yeah. By the way, I lived in Argentina for two years. They tap everything. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, there's a whole thing going on down there right now. But there's, they, some me- there's a mess going they, on. But see, you don't tap the Pope's phone. No. Or the pre-Pope. No. Because that's it's just bad karma. The Argentinian government... Uh, They've been reaching out. They're using their spy intelligence agencies, and yeah. and that the uh, the president's implicated in a murder at the moment. Yes, of a uh, prosecutor. Yes, and I, what she said that it was actually Iran who was trying to cover something up that blew, that, that that killed him. Yeah, that killed this person. She's now she's she's somehow she's got didn't she have like a there was an arrest warrant for her. When they found the body of this guy in the trash can was an arrest warrant for her and his, her, like, foreign deputy yeah, or the another. President, that's the president of Argentina. So the president and then one of her her very important deputies, both of them, an arrest warrant for their uh All alleged, dealings. by the way. Yeah, Allegedly. all of this alleged. And uh, so now they're saying they may have used the intelligence people to cover up that crime. Yeah. But they also may have tapped the, the cardinal's phone because they wanted to hear what he was saying. Yeah. But, yeah. And but, they, go, they go back, and they, the, the story I was reading talks about how he, the pope wasn't really someone that, that she wanted to be the cardinal at the time. Really? She didn't approve of him. She wanted another cardinal. And in their constitution, it says they support the Roman Catholic yeah, Church, no, right. but they can, they can say publicly whether they support the cardinal or not. Now, which is so interesting, because if you're going to tap a phone, he's... I really like Pope Francis. He is like, because I was in Argentina, and they love a guy like that. So I mean, of all things to tap, that's pretty boring. Like, if you're going to tap someone in Argentina, tap Maradona. Oh, right. I mean, the, the soccer guy, star? Absolutely. The soccer star. Right. The hand of God goal. Do you remember? Yeah. That's the guy you tap. He's got an interesting life. The Pope? Ah. Or the Cardinal at the time? Yeah. 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 Boring. But, I mean, public policy, those types of things, is he going to support what you're right. doing? And, yeah, they wanted to have their thumb I think, on that. Yeah, I think you're going to find more out about that president. So, yeah, that, that, that situation where, where she stands is ongoing because of uh, the different allegations. Hey, there. Uh, check this out. Let's bring it up a little more north to Puerto Rico. Okay. Did you know that Puerto Rico is considering fining parents of obese children? Can you believe that? Hey, your kid's too... Oh, your kid's too fat. Mm-hmm. You've got to come with us. So we're going to fine you. Yeah. Huh. San Juan, Puerto Rico, legislators in Puerto Rico are debating a bill that would fine parents of obese children up to $800 if they don't lose the weight. The bill aims to improve children's well-being and helps parents make healthier choices. Do they have socialized medicine? Socialized health care? I don't know. Isn't that weird? Because if, if, if they're looking at it in that sense... Then maybe that's sure. their idea for incentivizing people to be more healthy. Well, or taxing them, the fat tax. 
I don't believe they do. They're in American territory. Right. True point. The U.S. Center for Disease Control defines childhood obesity as having a body mass index, BMI, by the way, which is my worst enemy, uh, uh, or index above the 95th percentile for the children of the same age and sex. So if your child somehow passes a BMI index that's above 95%, you possibly could be taxed until, I mean, not taxed, charged, fined $800 until, of course, you get your child into the right program and we start correcting those eating habits. They say this is supposed to help children? Yeah. How is this going to help children when the adults are going to just berate the kids to lose the weight because they're having to pay the money? Oh, yeah. Well, no, it's – and think of all of the sudden you're what? Let's say you're seven. Yeah. Nine, ten, and now your weight has become like the dividing marker in the family. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you're going to create a complex. The problem is in Puerto Rico, more than 28 percent of the children are considered obese – Compared with some eighteen percent in the United States mainland. I'll say so. They're just looking to to get revenue. It's an epidemic, and who you know. So sure, you could hire RoboCop to come write more tickets, right? Or you could just you know find the fat kids. It's all revenue generating, whichever <laughs> I guess. Honestly, <laughs> you know that's the problem is we think you can legislate all of these things, and yet. Part of the problem is parents just aren't watching it without a little pressure. So parents, get going. And government, stay out. (sighs) Sorry to go off. It's all right. You should have a place where you can come and sort of blow your stack. I do. I have a radio show. Right. But I just A lot of people don't have that outlet. I know. Everybody needs a radio show. Let me give you one more story. Um, If you... If you want to know how a government should do it, go to China. I say that facetiously. Okay. China is shutting down all obscene and lascivious dating websites. China's internet regulator has shut down 65 dating or other matchmaking websites after accusing them of spreading obscene content and allowing registration with false names, according to Reuters. Sites that talk about just all things lascivious they're being shut down right now what about like china's doing it so what would you shut down farmers only there's a farming you know you're have you seen commercials for that yeah like the farmer dating site yeah yeah i mean i'd let that go wait a minute farmers got a date do they have one of those sites in china yeah maybe yeah, rice rice patty farmers. Rice patty. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, yeah. I don't they're know. growing other things besides rice there. But see, the dilemma is everyone's like, yeah, we should shut down all the obscene stuff. Let's let net neutrality. Let's control everything. But we've got these extremes. Go to Mexico or go to Argentina where they're tapping the Pope or go to China where they're shutting down everything. I mean, I guess it creates a cleaner Internet. But it also loses a freedom of speech. So that's the balance, folks. That's the balance. I think we need to leave the farmers alone, by the way. I do, too. Let the farmers date. They need somebody who relates when you have to go out and plow the North 40. That's right. They get that sort of work. Understood. I mean, it used to be the farmer's almanac. Now it's the dating site. We're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, And when we come back, got a great guest with us, Tim Walker, who lived abroad in Finland 
He's a he was an academic over there, and he wrote an article about the five American habits he kicked while in Finland. You know, there's things that make Americans a little strange. And uh, stick with us. We're going to have a great interview with him after this break. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt, we got a great uh, a great topic to discuss right now. You know, have you ever been abroad, for example, uh, in another country, and you can just see the American walking about a mile away from you, and you can hear him, and you notice him, and you're like, "That guy's an American." Well, have I got have I got a guy for you? Tim Walker is his name, and he 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 wrote an article that I fell in love with. It's in the Atlantic and magazine, and it's um, it's five bad American habits that I kicked in Finland. It's just a fantastic article, and we said we got to talk to him and, and get him on the phone and, and try to figure out, you know, what he means, because each of these things are little nuanced things that maybe Americans do, but these are some habits that maybe all of us could look at a little bit more closely Maybe kick a few. So we we asked him to be on the phone. He um he actually moved to Finland two years ago, and he's run into a fairly substantial you know maybe a little culture shock, a new culture, a new people, a new language with new ideas, and he had to make some changes along the way, and still embrace parts of his old culture and the new culture. Let's get him on the phone. Tim Walker, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Good to be here. So good to have you, and love your article. Quite the little writer there. Um, talk, talk about, first of all, what took you to Finland from the United States? Well, I guess the easy answer is my Finnish wife. Uh, and I, I got married pretty young, got married at the age of 20, uh, but it wasn't until uh, a bit later that we had our first child. And, uh, you know, moving to Finland was always in the back of our minds. And but I think once we started having children, we, we started thinking seriously about moving there permanently. Uh-huh. My wife's family there. Um, but also, we, you know, we were, we were always attracted to kind of the slower pace of life in Finland. Uh, it, you know, on paper, it seemed like a great place to, to, uh, to raise a young family. And, yeah. of course, later we'd find out that that was true. And, you know, subsidized daycare and uh, more vacation days and, um, you know, less working hours. You know, often people are coming home at, at 3 or 4 p.m. versus, you know, the, the 5.36 or later mm. in the Boston area that we are used to. And, uh, you know, free health care, uh, paid maternity leave, uh, you know, even, you know, you know also paternity uh, and, and maternity, actually. So, I mean, all of those, all of those things appeal to us. And so um, we, yeah, we were really interested in, in moving to Finland. And so, yeah, so it was my wife being finished and then also just really uh, interested in, in, in raising our young family here. Is, is her family, do they still live in Finland? Yes, they do. So do, did you, you moved by them. So I guess, too, another benefit is you got grandparents around. Exactly, yeah. That's cool. That's yeah, a great benefit. Do you speak the language? Yeah. Do you speak Finnish? 
Not not so well. I mean, I, I'm definitely picking up uh, Finnish more and more here. Uh, you know, my wife is speaking Finnish all the time with our our two two kids. We have a, two, a three-year-old, and then we have a one-year-old. Oh, great. So I, I hear Finnish all the time, and I'm hearing Finnish at, at work as well. I, I get to teach. I'm a teacher, so I, I get to teach in English, which is a, a great thing because it would be ugly in Finnish right now. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean I'm hoping – I'm hoping that in, in just a you know a couple of years time I'll be I'll be more and more fluent. So yeah, it's it's interesting. One of the producers on our show is Michael Pond, and he's he he served an LDS mission in Finland, and you know the language I hear is horrendous. I mean, beautiful. I meant beautiful. Yes, but difficult, yes. like beyond difficult. Well, yes. So you're in yes. for the. I mean, Finns Finns will tell you that too with a smile. Do they? They're very, they're very proud of that. I, I bet they are. Yes. Is it? Uh, do you, are you in for the <laughs> yeah, long haul? Then you're, you're in forever. I mean, you're you're yeah. there. You're you're there to we're, stay. You know, yeah. I mean, we're taking it one stage at a time. I mean, for us right now, it's great with our our two really young kids, and then yeah. I think you know a few years down the line, once kind of um, you know grade school begins we'll, we'll sort of take another look but for now we you know this is a great place oh great that's great for us. well i mean and again i've lived abroad for two years as well and it's i mean it changes you there's no way it doesn't change you mm. um but i like i like yeah. how you approach this in in the article in the atlantic on atlantic.com you you talked about the five habits you needed to break Right, I mean these these are kind of American, I guess, yes. Americanish, maybe Western cultureish yes. habits that m- right. maybe most of us don't even think about, and yet they they do. I mean they're real and they impact, uh, especially when you see another culture. Yeah. Did, how how did that? Yeah. Yeah. Did you? How did that hit you? How did you sit there and say, okay, I well, well, I, I guess I got to break some habits here. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. It happened gradually, happened over time, uh, but and of course, I mean, yeah, I didn't. It wasn't like I woke up one day and, and was like, "Wow, I've got these five habits that that really I need to kick here." And then, you know, it just it happened over time. But but I think um, you know one one sort of habit that I uh, that I got to know pretty well uh, was this one of kind of being very generous with my greetings. And uh, you know, here in Finland, it's it's not, you know, it's not uncommon to to walk on the street and, you know, and you just you pass by someone, you know, let's say you're you're one on one with someone in the street and you won't even, you know, make eye contact or or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know? Whereas, you know, often oftentimes in the U.S., you know, if you're walking around your neighborhood and, and you know someone has a dog and you can make eye contact or you know, give a quick wave or, or say hello. Yeah. Um, so there's there's sort of a Greeting culture here as well, and so I sort of I, I understood that very quickly uh, when I moved to Finland, and I, I'm you know I wasn't um, kind of so eager to go up to any stranger on the street and, and say hello. I, I realized that that wasn't sort of the norm here. Uh-huh. So I, I got I understood that quickly, but but one thing that really struck me was um, you know one morning I I you know walked into my school and I saw one of my colleagues she's by the the copy machine and I said hello, greeted her by name. And then, um, you know, she, she greeted me back. She's warm with me. And I, I, I forgot something, you know, outside. And I just had to run a quick errand. And I came back just a few minutes <laughs> later to the same spot. She was still at the copy machine. And 
I, I wasn't thinking at all. I just said, oh, hey, you know, good morning. Uh, good morning. Good morning again. Again. And then right, yeah, right, yeah, right <laughs> away, she, she just, you already greeted me. Did she say that? So, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I did. Is that a problem? And Well, usually I just greet, I, I greet a colleague just once. Just once. Day. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Just once, yeah. The one greeting uh, and, and, then, and then and then she explained. I was like, okay, I guess, I guess she's fairly serious about this. So then and then she explained that like usually she's she's keeping track of who she's grieving. So you know she knows if she's you know already grieving yeah. someone. So she's not going to greet that person again. I was like, okay, I've never thought about that before. I guess I guess if I'm keeping track, but that seems like a lot of keeping track. You know? It's, yeah, but it's, it's, it's easier to. It's it's just it's just recognizing them, right? I mean, it's I mean, we do that. Like, I you say yeah. hello to the person, hi, and then the next time you pass them by the copier, and you're like, "Sup?" <laughs> I mean, yeah. you just you just yeah, keep exactly. yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. recognizing you, you. It up or something, but you still. That's right. That's right. And, and the, but then my you know I I talk with with her later about this, and and she explained that there's still this recognition going on. So maybe it's you know if I if I'm one on one with her in the hallway, you know she may make eye contact with me or give me a faint smile or something like mm-hmm. that. But, you know, that's sort of her way of, of Interesting. reading. But if I, but if I say, Hey, what's up? Or how are you? Uh, you know, that that's a bit strange. And, yeah. and so I, I kind of, I playfully threatened her. I said that this is like a couple of weeks after we had, it, it became this running joke. And I kept asking her, have I greeted? Is this the second time I greeted <laughs> you today? Like, am I, am I, am I still in the, you know, am I still okay? Um, and it was just a big yeah. joke for a couple of weeks, and then I, and then I said, "This is this is such a good anecdote. Like, yeah. it, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to work this into one of my blog posts or, or into into an article." And she's like, "Well, before you do that, you should really check to make sure that this is you know true for other things." I was like, "Okay, good point." So we we ducked into um, the teachers' lounge, and a few of my colleagues were sitting down, drinking some coffee, and. We kind of explain the situation, and and one of my colleagues uh, right away she she looked at me and she said, "You do greet quite often, <laughs> <laughs> like as if as if this light bulb went off in her head. She's like, like that's what it is. Like you do greet. you over greet. You're a generous greeter. Yeah, you over greet. Like what? Exactly. And I had never known of this. Yeah. you know, as being a problem. Yeah. So kind of like you know, and so and then but then she. And then she's like, well, you know, you're American, so you're special. You know, oh, sort boy. Of like as if she had already yeah. forgiven me. You know, for yeah, did she pat you on the show. head? Did she, like, pat you on the head and say, there, there, you know, Tim. You're that, an American. That's a little bit too personal. Yeah. Is it over there? Yeah. Like, but but that, that opened the door, didn't it? Like, when you saw that change and you yeah, saw it, that it, difference, I mean, you said, there's yeah. got to be more. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that was sort of the the perfect one that, you know, I, I'm just, I'm not thinking at all. And, and it's clear that I have this habit and, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm just not conscious of it until, you know, my colleagues are really helping me understand sure. myself a little bit better. And, you know, and for them, just, to be, yeah, to be fair too, with, with the Atlantic article, it's, it's titled, you know, my five bad American habits I take in Finland. And, you know, the, the piece is tongue in cheek. So I'm, yeah. of course, um, you know, some some readers some readers were saying to me like, "Hey, that's not fair. They're not bad habits. They're just different. They're just different. It's just yeah." And uh, yeah, it's, well, it's true. It's true that they are different. But I'm also, 
I'm also getting at this um, point that you know there there are certain habits that we could do well to be without. Uh-huh. So you know maybe I'm still you know my mind is not made up about the the greeting one. You know that I, I still think that it's it's fine to you know to to greet your colleagues warmly, but. You know, my Finnish colleagues have a different way of doing that. Yeah, so, and, and, and we have to kind of respect it. And then also I like the idea that we get to learn this. So I want to share it with my, my listeners. Yeah. Well, let's sure. take a break. When we come back, let's go into some of the other five. I mean, I know you've got stories sure. about all of them. So I'd love to just hear, sure. you know, you know, as much as you can teach us. I, I personally know um, I'm going on a television show today to talk about the power of silence. And as Americans, we don't always do that very well either. So we'll take a break. We'll come back more with Tim Walker and uh, the lessons we need to learn right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we're starting to wrap up this last hour, and we we got a great topic going on. Um, Tim Walker is joining us. He's a teacher in Finland, an American that went to move there with his wife, who's Finnish. And when he got there, he found out, you know, those people are different. And he actually found out he's the different one. As an American, we have a lot of little habits a lot of little things that we do that maybe we don't know how they impact others. So we've asked him to be on the show. He wrote an article that ended up being in the Atlantic.com, and uh, it's just fascinating. So, Tim, welcome back to the show, and we're ready to hear uh, some of your other lessons. I, I know that one of the first lessons that you uh, that you talked about in your article is you don't fear awkward silences. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and, you know, I was thinking actually of just having a 15-second awkward silence right now. No, you almost did. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Because you know what, Tim? I fear them incredibly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, you know, I haven't met an American yet who, who isn't uh, comfortable um, with with sort of the, the awkward awkward silence. And, I mean... Usually, we're Americans. We're, we're really trying to avoid that that part in a conversation, you mm-hmm. know. And, and, and of course, it's inevitable that you know eventually you sort of you can't think of something to talk about, and there's a long conversation. Um, but but I, I've just noticed, you know, living in the states for for many years, that people often talk about things that um, perhaps aren't so necessary. You know, talking about the latest viral cat video or celebrity breakup or, or whatever it would be, you know, just to sort of fill fill the time, time and space. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and you know, what I've found here in Finland is that it's a bit different. Uh, you know, people are very comfortable with, with silence and, and they sort of recognize it as, as sort of like, you know, this, this natural rhythm of, of human interaction. And so just recently I, I sort of saw how comfortable I had become with with silence. I had, you know, I was sitting down for lunch at twelve o'clock, and I was joined by by a Finnish colleague of mine, and I, I greeted him first. I hadn't greeted him yet that day. Yeah, so, so okay. you needed to do number one and, and only. And then we, yeah, that's right. So yeah, that was the only time of the day. And then we 
we ate. We continued to eat our meals in complete silence. <laughs> uh, we weren't saying anything after that greeting, and and this went on for uh, more than ten minutes. And wow! So uh, eventually, I looked. Eventually, I looked at my. You know, I looked up at the clock, and I noticed that my next lesson was about to begin. And so I, you know, said goodbye. I pushed in my chair and and left, and that was it. You know, no harm was done. Hmm. Uh, you know, he. He was not offended that I was silent. I was not offended that he was silent. And it was, you know, just to me, it was clear evidence that I had become acclimated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also, and not just that, but it was sort of, it was very refreshing. It was nice. Because, of course, it's great to talk. Yeah, it's great, it's great to have, you know, running conversations, right, with, with, with strangers, with friends, of course. That's great. And didn't do that, too, but it's also, it's also a wonderful thing when, it, you know, it's, it's midday and you're tired. You know, you've been with... If you're a teacher, if you've been with students all morning, and you just get to have ten minutes of, of peace, yeah. you know. No, I even, totally even get it. You're sitting next to someone. Uh, that's why. Yeah. That's so why I, I, was, I was feeling. I was feeling refreshed. That, that's why they've yeah. made doors for you know your office. That you can just shut the door and not have to talk to anybody. Yeah. But it's. I, I really love the point because, again, we, we're not good with silence. A lot of us, anyway, and. Um, the idea that you could sit there and in your head not be thinking, oh, my heavens, this is so strange. This is so weird. But it, it, just to actually right. both of you have exactly. calm, it's powerful. Yeah, that's right. That's that, right. Yeah, that, exactly. There's no, there's no, there, there, you know, there wasn't this inner voice telling me that I really should yeah. say something. Okay, what can I, can I ask him about his kids or can I ask him about his health or you know, should we talk about the weather? You know, there, yeah. none of that. No small talk. Um, so it was just sort of basking in the silence. That's cool. Another one you talk about that probably yeah. parallels this is that you don't say things you don't mean. You've learned that yeah, in I Finland mean, they don't say what they don't mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I learned I learned my lesson the hard way. I, I learned my lesson, you know, several years ago. But it's sort of it's one of those ongoing lessons. It's one that I you know keep seeing here in Finland that um, you know when someone tells you they're going to do something, they they really you know they really mean that. Or if you or if you tell them that you plan to do something that they're really going to take you at your word. And so I had, um, you know, initially when I was dating my wife, I, I would, I would come and, and we would visit Helsinki for, you know, two, two or three weeks at a time. And I always enjoyed, you know, I always enjoyed these trips, but they were really, really kind of busy with, with get togethers. And we, and we really didn't have enough time to kind of see more than, uh, see a given friend, you know, more than once or so. Right. And so, I, even though even though I sort of understood that you know this was the situation, I I, I couldn't help myself from saying, oh, I would love to meet up again at the, at the end of each visit. And so I I got in trouble because you know one um, one family friend of of, of my wife uh, got back to uh, my mother in law, my Finnish mother in law, and she was wondering when I was going to kind of follow up and, and sort of schedule another time to meet up. Mm-hmm. And, and I, for me, of course, like for me, I, I said that I wanted, to, I'd love to meet up again, but I, I didn't really mean that. Yeah. Um, it was just, for me, it was just an expression, you know, sort of like, oh, that'd be great to get together. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I think we often say, yeah, we do that all the time. Things like that to each other. Yeah. Like come over anytime. Let's keep in <laughs> touch. Um, and I think we, I think we mean. I think we mean well. Yeah. But I think we also, when we're saying that, at the same time, I think we're also thinking like, yeah, it's going to be a little hard to follow through on this one. But 
you know, we just say it because it feels good. Sure. Perhaps. So, um, so yeah. And so then, you know, it was, it was my wife, um, who, who explained to me that, well, you know, you, you can't just be so free with your words. Like if, if you're, you know, if you're going to say you'd love to meet up with someone, you know, people, people here in Finland are, are really going to take that seriously. And so, yeah, since, you know, since then I've really, I've really been trying to <laughs> really say what I mean <laughs> yeah. uh, a bit more. But that's such a, I mean, really that, I mean, just the mere fact you're thinking it. So then you can question, do I really sincerely mean this? The worst thing would be you say it, hey, come over for dinner anytime. And the next day they show up and you're like, what's going on? Yeah. But the reality is yeah. it, you're, you're just starting to think, which I think is, I think that's the key to being mindful and is, is actually mm. don't just do something because you're used to doing it. Actually evaluate. Is this healthy for me? Is right. this something I want to keep doing? Um, what else did you learn? What's another one of the the many things? I mean, I know you mentioned um, you don't say what you, you, you say what you mean, but you don't leave food on your plate. You're not going to waste anything yeah, anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> some of these are definitely aspirations, right? Um, yeah. Some some things that we would definitely um, all want to do a bit better. Uh, and I'm not saying at all that things are perfect in this area, but I've seen that. You know, at my school, I've been amazed at, at sort of, uh, uh, I guess, resourcefulness and, and sort of the, the, the way that uh, my Finnish colleagues and the students at my school have been so economical. And, and, and so we have this campaign uh, that was started in January, and it's, it's, it's called Eat What You Take. Hmm. And so the, the basic idea is that the, the school's compost bin is, is removed. And so the, so now when students are clearing their, their you know, their plates um, yeah. and they're, you know, clearing off their trays, there's nowhere where they can actually put uh, any leftover food. So the students are, they have, you know, they have two options. Either they will need to finish off the remaining food on their plate, or if they, for whatever reason, can't finish it, then they need to, take a bold step into the, the kitchen and apologize to one of the lunch ladies. Oh, that's so, a cool. I, that's a I've great idea. Anything like I know. That. I haven't either. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's radical, right? Yeah. I've never heard of anything like that before in, in the States. And I mean, so I've heard of, of course, I've seen this firsthand. I've also participated in this um, firsthand. Um, but, you know, American kids do waste a lot of school food. And, and in one example, in 2010, um, researchers found at this one elementary school that students were wasting more than a third of grain, fruit, and vegetable mm. menu items. And so, I mean, that would that would never fly. No, right now. Um, and yeah, and so there's sort of there's sort of like the, this attitude here that uh, you know, sort of like if if you take something that you should you should, you should eat it, it off. And I, I don't know. I mean, to not this can't be true for all Americans, but it is true for, for many that. I think we have, a, you know, we, we have a habit of, of consuming a lot more than, than we really need and yeah. also maybe, you know, purchasing things that we don't need. And so, I, you know, I, I really, um, that's one thing that has stood out for me. That's there. great. I, I, as for me, I, I learned my lesson last year when, when I had severely miscalculated, you know, as I was you know, serving myself food, I, I didn't have enough time to finish it all. Uh-huh. This is actually before the Eat What You Take campaign. So I, 
that was a good thing. Yeah, but totally. I, I had taken too much food. Yeah, I'd taken too much food, and my student, my sixth graders, had caught me throwing away about you know half a plate mm. of food, and it was so embarrassing. And so I, I started the next lesson with with a, with a public apology to my students. That is so. Um, cool. And and since then, actually, that was that was a really good lesson for me. I mean, one of course they, you know, it's something that that they should be doing it's something yeah. that I'm trying to teach them to, to uh, you know finish off their plates and then when I'm when I'm not sort of falling through in that way ooh. yeah but anyway that's a great lesson me. and uh and yeah you know I mean and doing better in that doing better in that area well and I appreciate all the lessons I mean just so you, we've got to wrap it up but the other two were just simply you don't take coffee on the go that's probably such an American thing running mm-hmm. around I don't feel uncomfortable in my own skin you know because they go get in the sauna together and sit there um, but but as we wrap up, I just want to thank you because really your the lessons are great. Really quickly, just what's the name of your blog, and we'll send everyone there. Sure, yeah, great. It's called Taught by Finland, and you can navigate to it Ta- by taughtbyfinland.com. Taughtbyfinland.com. Tim Walker's his That's name. Right. Great lessons. So appreciate it, Tim, and good luck to you over there. Keep sending those thank lessons you, home. Great stuff. Okay. Thank you. Take care, my friend. We're going to take a break and uh, wrap the show up, my friends. Good stuff. Coming up uh, next will be BYU Sports Nation. A little talk with them, our good friends over there. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're out of here. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend has stepped away. Other pressing duties as he is fixing relationships somewhere in this great country of ours. We'll go downstairs now to our noisy downstairs neighbors, the BYU Sports Nation. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Oh, we are feeling fantastic. It's Friday. Happy Friday to you. How are you feeling? It's Friday. (laughs) That pretty much sums it up. Scientific fact. I enjoy the fact that the week is over. And freedom is close at hand. How did well, how did Matt get you to come in and work today on a Friday? That's my question. I always show up on Friday. Well, okay. Especially, Every Friday that especially you've been employed, you've been here. Yes, it's my first week. I'm not taking a day off already. <laughs> come on, <laughs> that's next week. Yeah, I'll flake off next week. Exactly. So no, it's, uh, a, it's a big weekend for sports. I mean, the, it, it's interesting that for some. I hey, good for you. You know, we're going to be here this weekend. We got uh, volleyball matches this weekend as well. Uh, big basketball game last night was fantastic. Senior night, so it's going to be a good weekend. There's a men's volleyball on BYU TV, BYU Radio tonight, tomorrow, nine Eastern time. I'm pumped about that because I'm the one calling it. Yeah, <laughs> self promotion. I might be the only one. I don't know. Nice plug. So yeah, BYU beat San Diego. Okay. Yep. The real story: Tyler Hawes did not break Jimmer's record. <gasps> Is 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 that okay? Is it okay to do it on the road, he not at had home? A mere twenty eight points. Yeah, he had a quiet twenty eight. <laughs> yeah, seven away um, against St. Mary's a week ago. I look at this as the moment that maybe cost him not being able to do it at home, which it isn't the worst thing in the world, but it would have been nice. Uh, he had two fouls in the first half against St. Mary's, so he only played six minutes. I don't know how many points he scored, but had he played his regular kind of 14 or 15 minutes, he, probably he would have had 10 it. or 12 points. Yeah. He would have had the seven that he needed. And then last night, the 28 would have broken the record. So that's a bummer, but that's all right. The Portland fans, and there are many BYU fans in Portland that are going to be in that game. They'll enjoy that. Seven points in, it'll come like five minutes in. 
And that'll be a, a significant thing, breaking Jimmer Fredette's scoring record. Yeah, the funny thing about this BYU basketball team is as good as they have been offensively, they lead the nation in points per game. During this four-game win streak, it has been all about defense. And so we will uh, dive into that very topic on BYU Sports Nation coming up uh, here in about 12 minutes. With Anson Winder. Anson Winder in studio, one of the four seniors. Uh, He had an emotional night, showed up, played very well. He's uh, feeling healthy. In fact, we're going to ask him just how healthy he is feeling after having a banged-up knee and a pulled groin and, I don't know. Old man back. Everything else. Fifth-year senior. Now, you mentioned it was senior night. My question, why do seniors at BYU in football and basketball get blankets? Uh, to stay warm. Is that I, what it I, is? I, I, no, I have no idea. Did they give him a blanket last night? I didn't even. I notice. read that in one of the stories that the seniors got blankets, and I know they do it for football also. Yeah, I, I don't. It just know seems like basketball. no, you don't see any other schools handing out blankets. Well, I I, I wish that there, some of the uh, older fans that like knit at the games would make them quilts. <laughs> okay. Out of you know various T-shirts and jerseys from their career. I think that would be appropriate. <laughs> oh my goodness! There's hey, there's we got we got plenty of workers. That so, we, you know what I'm saying with the headphones in and stuff. Maybe maybe look that up. Find out what the blanket thing is about. Yeah, where did that tradition start? It's kind we of should a, send that out to our uh, our BYU Sports Nation Twitter following. They seem to have somebody every knows. Somebody, somebody knows. knows, or they'll make it up. Well, guys, have a great show. Thank you, and we'll uh, talk to you again on Monday. You got it, Friday. Do it big. Thank you. There you go, Sports Nation. They come up immediately following the Matt Townsend show. At the moment, we're going to go to Sean O'Neill. Yeah. He has movie review, movie Woo. reviews. That's hard for me to say. Movies. Two movies today. Two movies today that come out, actually. Have they um, come out already? They're already they're, in the theaters. in the theater today. So you got The Duff yes. and you have McFarland. Yes. Uh, uh, McFarland USA oh, excuse is me. the whole title. You know, the, the, the studios would, would ask you to say the title correctly, please. Uh, these aren't embargoed. No. No, these aren't. Not now. Not after midnight on Friday. I can actually talk about them. <laughs> Which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's start with The Duff, actually. Your favorite um, movie. You know, I, okay, I do like the story in this movie. I think the story is fun. And I think it's it's it it does have somewhat of a good message to it. But how they presented that story and stuff is where I have the problem. So what's now, the premise? If you, if you want to a... know what the Duff is, yeah. Duff, D-U-F-F, stands for Designated Ugly Fat Friend. Okay. It's a great thing to be uh, when yeah. you're in school, I'm sure. You want to aspire to that position, <laughs> exactly. don't you? Exactly. I'm the so, ugly fat one. <laughs> Bianca, played by Mae Whitman, who I think is very good in this movie. I think she's uh, she's she could be a very good comedic actress. But she finds out she's the Duff in her group of friends. She has There are three friends that hang out together and... She finds out she's the duff. <laughs> she's the one that all the boys come to in order to find out about the other two beautiful friends that she hangs out with. She's the one the guys go, well, what about, what about your friend? Is she seeing anybody right now? Right. So it's, it's easier to go to Bianca than it is to go to her beautiful friends and get turned down. Understood, okay. yes. Yeah. So Bianca thinks her friends are using her once she realizes her position in the group. And she breaks off the friendship. So she doesn't realize that she's the Duff. She doesn't, but she gets told she's the Duff by somebody else. But in the meantime, she has a crush on a boy in school, and her lifelong friend and neighbor, Wesley, who told her she was the Duff in her group, played by uh, Robbie Amell, he helps her out with some dating tips. But, of course, he needs help in chemistry, and she's a really good student, so they strike up a deal. And 
this being a teen rom-com, well, you might guess what happens to those two in the end of the movie. It's pretty easy to figure out. Wesley, though, does have an ex-girlfriend named Madison. She's played by Bella Thorne. You might have seen her on Disney Channel a few times. And she wants him back and will do so by any means necessary. And she makes life miserable for Bianca because she believes, since Bianca and Wesley are hanging out a lot, that Bianca is trying to move in on her territory. So, sounds like a cute little story. Maybe predictable, but a nice story, and it could be fun to watch. Well, I did enjoy the story. But all the surrounding stuff around it, they added all sorts of profanity and sexual references for some reason, and I don't know why. It it, it almost turned into a kind of a Fast Times at Ridgemont High okay. sort of thing. Uh, but it was it's not rated R. It's rated PG-13. But, you know, I there are things like teenage boys just, you know— ogling at girls as they're going down the hallway and then bragging to their friends what they're going to... Yes. Yeah. The teenage boys. Right. Yes. It's, I, I understand that, but why perpetuate the stereotype? Isn't that what this movie is, though? It's kind of... Here, it, here's have, our, it didn't have to be. Here's our template. We're just going to do this type it, of movie. It is like that. Right. But you didn't have to add in all this stuff. Yeah. And would have made the movie a little bit shorter and maybe even more enjoyable. But you also have the adults in this film who have lost all sense of reality, it seems. They have, and and they, they, they show these adults as not knowing how to handle the Internet, not, ha- not knowing what technology is. Are they the comedy knowing, relief type thing? Not and... knowing what their teenagers are doing. Right. That they're, sort of thing. They're bumbling along, yes. Exactly. Um, so it's the stereotypical teen representation of adults. Uh, the only reason this film is not rated R is because there is no nudity in the film. But there are scenes that are sexual, including an imagined scene of a pornographic film. Eh, but no one takes their clothes off. Right. So, uh, some, uh, you know, you've got profanity. You've got these imagined scenes of two people having fun yeah. in some sort of sense. <laughs> and it just... Um, I don't know. Maybe it would have been different had I not had my 16-year-old daughter sitting next to me in the screening, but she thought the same thing that I did. And the movie's kind of for her anyways, it for was. her age group. Now, I do have to admit, at the screening I was at, there were invited to this screening were four different sororities as well as some uh, drill teams, for local drill teams. So they had their target audience in there, and they seemed to really like the movie. But I don't know that I would... I. I would not take any of my other daughters to this movie at all. Of course, two of them are under 13 anyway, so they wouldn't right. do that. But I'm only giving it two stars. Enjoyed the story, but it could have been told a much different way. That's out of four stars, by the and way. And that's The Duff. The Duff. Uh, McFarland, USA, though. This is based on a true story. Jim White, played by Kevin Costner, is a high school football coach. and He's not bad. He's wanted, you know... People want him for his position, but he has had some problems dealing with uh, kids. And so he's kind of on the outs, and he ends up out of work, needing a job. The only one he can find is in McFarland, California. It's a really small town. And this is based on a true story, by the way. Um, but it's a little town just a little bit north of Bakersfield, California. So if you know where that's at, it's in the inland areas. Uh, he's teaching science and PE, and he's the assistant football coach. So he ends up there. Well, this small town is made up of mostly what are described in the movie as pickers. These are Latino families that work in the fields every single day. And they get paid by the number of fields that they can harvest, so everyone in the family works. 
Oh, I've seen the com- the commercials where yes. they talk about that. Like, when, when do you get paid? And they go, when we get this. When we get the field done. Yeah, he's like, this row? And they go, no, the whole field. And you're like, whoa. Yeah, we get paid by the field. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. So when it comes time for school, though, the, I mean, the kids, these people are waking up at like 4 a.m. and heading out to the fields to start picking. Now, when it comes time to, to head to school, mom reminds the kids, hey, it's time to go. And they run. They don't have a vehicle or anything. They have to run to school to get there on time. And they are running miles. This is distant from where the school is. Well, uh, Jim White notices that these kids have an ability to run as he is a PE teacher and he has them running around a track. So he decides to put together a cross-country team. Well, he's got (laughs) something that the school has never done before. And he meets with some resistance. He's got parents that need the kids out in the field to work. He's also got a principal who doesn't have budget to make up a team to get uniforms and on all of that. But he does find some grant money to get the team together for the school. And then he starts learning about the Latino culture and how they deal with families. And it's a foreign culture to him, but he ends up embracing it. And I thought it was very interesting to to watch the way his character just progresses through this film and learns a lot of stuff. He learns how to balance his work and family. And he even recovers from his daughter being involved in a gang fight. Now, she's not not in the fight itself, but she was present uh, when it happened. Uh, this film does have some uh, does have uh, some issues, but it, it doesn't show a lot of them on the screen, such as the gang fight. You know it's going to happen, but you come back after the fact. So there is some you do see some uh, bloody bandages on people after this fight. There is a fight in school, and um, there is some language, and there is somebody that that vomits due to his nerves. But other than that, there's not a whole lot to so, to look at. But three stars for this clean film. On that one, it is. It is. I a, liked it a lot. It's a Disney movie. Is that how they? It is Disney. Marketing? It is okay. done by Disney. I yes. know they, they've they've latched onto these kind of stories mm-hmm. and progressed them to movies, that kind of thing. So, two. Uh, well, one that's not so family friendly movie, and the if McFarlane deal- USA was probably a good good show if you want to go so. for a family. I would take movie my kids to see that one. In fact, I took all of my kids to see it. Great. Well, that's it for the. Matt Townsend show for today. We'll be back Monday. Matt will be here, and we'll uh, we'll continue on and with the the great entertainment that Matt will bring you. So thanks. Have a great weekend.